They're finally here, the Annie Leibovitz Episode 9 photos. Each saga film release anticipates the biggest look yet into the new film with the Vanity Fair spread. We're here to break it all down. Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to Sky Talkers, where we are going to be talking all about the Vanity Fair articles today on the show. Woohoo! Yeah. <laughs> there was such, like the lead up to these photos almost felt similar to the lead up to the trailer. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. It really did. I think that because. I don't know. They, this was released on, what, May 22nd, May 23rd, right? Mm-hmm. And in the past, like, The Last Jedi ones came out around the same time. But I do know that for The Force Awakens, they released them on May May the 4th. So I think that there was, like, anticipation all throughout the month of May for this because we knew they were coming. People had talked about uh, Annie going to the set. Like, I feel like I kept seeing that everywhere. Like, oh, yeah, they happened. Like, Annie was at the set. <laughs> that, oh, my God. And I, I have to apologize. It's been a little bit since he's been out. It's been like a week, a week and a half. But I was traveling and I just hadn't had a chance to sit down to, like, really comb through them in the way that we really wanted to until just now. Mm-hmm. And we were kind of hoping that we would actually have the physical copies. Alas. <laughs> <Mood>. <laughs> What I think is so funny, though, is that um, you were actually – the day they came out was the day you left for your trip, mm-hmm. and you weren't awake yet, and I was texting you incessantly, like, nonstop to the point where I was worried that you weren't awake yet, so I started calling you. <laughs> and you and woke I, me up. I woke you up. <laughs> yeah. And it was worth it. It was worth it. <laughs> I have to say, I was working from home that day, and – I was looking forward to that, like, little bit of sleeping in, but you know what? It's okay. Star Wars is worth it. <laughs> yeah, because I, I had forgotten that you were working from home that day. I thought you were just doing, like, a half day at work. No. So, and, and I'm usually at work before you, and so, I, so I'm usually up before you, too. So after, like, a certain hour in the morning, I was like, oh, my God, why isn't she awake yet? <laughs> and I actually got genuinely concerned. <laughs> Like, oh, no. I was like, I was like, it's almost time for her to be at work. Why is she answering her phone? Like, where is she on Twitter? What is going on? <laughs> She's missing. Like, Why has she not responded to these texts? <laughs> but it was like, it was so good to wake up to this. Wow. And I'm sure other people had similar experiences when it was the first thing that they saw when they woke up. And mm-hmm. oh, man, just so good to wake up to Raylo. <laughs> <laughs> That's really what this is about. <laughs> <laughs> and I um I made the our friend Heath on Twitter, Heath Williams, he did this um he basically photoshopped out all of the text on the covers, on the Ray and Kylo covers, so it's just like one clean image of them and it's my background on my computers at work. And the second it it like loaded that it became my background, I literally gasped. <laughs> it was Amazing. They're just in HD on my bit. Like I have two screens on my computer at my desk and they're on both of them. (laughs) It's just great. It's amazing. Makes me really happy. So why don't we dive in to talk about them because I think we're eager to. Yes. Okay. So in part one, we're going to talk about the covers. And in part two, we are going to talk about the photos. And in part three, we're going to be talking about the articles. So without further ado, let's get started. 
So who talks first? You talk first. I talk first. All right, welcome to part one, where we're talking all about the covers, the beautiful, beautiful Raylo covers. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is probably what everyone was most interested about was who, what configuration of characters was going were going to be on the covers um, for Vanity Fair because we've gotten a lot of different iterations throughout the sequel trilogy, and there was a lot of lead up to these two. And I think we all anticipated them to be on the covers, but mm-hmm. I think I anticipated other characters too. And the fact that it's just, just them, them. <laughs> was like a like a warm hug. <laughs> I was so ready for them to go the route that they did for Revenge of the Sith, where they have they brought in like cast members from. Like the Revenge of the Sith one is really special because it really was back then the end of the saga. So they brought in like the original trilogy cast and then the the prequel trilogy cast all for like a huge one that you can pull out and it's like panogram pana pano. <laughs> I don't know why I'm blinking on that word. Panoramic. Panoramic. Thank you. I don't know why I wanted to say panogramic. Like Pan- what Instagram. Is a panogram? <laughs> yeah, whatever. Um, anyway, I I was kind of thinking that they were going to do that with the entire sequel trilogy cast. I, I think that they had already done that. Looking back, I'm like, oh, they've already done that with the prequel trilogy. So I don't know why Annie Leibovitz would want to like go that route again, you know? Mm-hmm. And I just think, you know, I heard Kirsty and Rachel talk about this on Scavenger's Horde, which is definitely one of my favorite podcasts. And Kirsty was saying that this, the 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 fact that the the covers for the Rise of Skywalker are just Ray and Kylo is kind of how it has gone for the sequel trilogy. Like if you think about it, the first cover for The Force Awakens was, you know, all of them in the Falcon cockpit. Remember that? Mm-hmm. To the sequel trilogy, and then um, in the the in the Last Jedi, it was basically siphoned off into the story points of everyone separated in the Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. Right? It was like you had, you know, the Resistance heroes, and then you had, which was it was so great to see that, and the fact that Kelly Marie Tran, if I'm not mistaken, was the first Asian woman on the cover of Vanity Fair. I cannot believe that. In that that point, I remember like being so overwhelmed by those covers, especially the Carrie Fisher one that was just Carrie. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was, again, really representative of where their stories were going. And here we have in The Rise of Skywalker of just Rey and Kylo. Yeah, I think it's I think it's nice that because at the end of the day and, and what we talk a lot about is that where this story ends, this saga ends, is dependent on the choices that these two characters make. And so I think I think I was tracking with you and, and a lot of other people online and thinking that there was going to be this big, like, you know, panoramic, <laughs> panoramic <laughs> view of all of these films and, and, you know, bringing in cast members and or even just like all of the sequel trilogy on the cover because this is the last the last part um, of this trilogy and of this nine part saga. But the fact that it is just them and is really fitting because at the end, it all comes down to the choices that they make um, and how this story ends. So I think it was like after the shock of just wow, it is actually just them. <laughs> it's like oh, this <laughs> this makes sense actually. 
Yeah. So let's like get into the actual cover because, oh my God, it's so good. The crazy thing about this cover is that Joanna Robinson, who's a writer for Vanity Fair, actually really like her work and especially her work on Game of Thrones. Um, I, She tweeted that there was a hidden meeting there. And I think that was like, oh my gosh, what's the hidden meaning? I can't believe they would put a hidden meeting in a cover. Well, you know. <laughs> the question is, who's putting in the hidden hidden meeting? Is it Vanity Fair or is it Star Wars? Like, I think Lucas that this Bell? is so such part of the machine of marketing for this movie at this point that it is both coming from Lucasfilm and from Vanity Fair. Yeah. And I think that Amy, Annie Leibovitz is so like was so tuned into you know, what characters were important to capture, what was important to capture, that I think that they're, they've have, they have given a lot away to the people who put together this magazine. Yeah. But the fact is, which we were skirting around, if you put the Kylo version together and the Ray version, they are one singular photo. and i don't think that's the hidden meaning because i think that when joanna said that she had retweeted them putting them together but i think personally i think the hidden meaning is the fact that they're looking at each other yeah i think they're either looking at each other or they're both looking out at something together they're together the fact like the way that if they if you put them so the wind is going in opposite directions in the photo, right? But mm-hmm. if you imagine them staring at each other like eye to eye, as yeah. if one was right in front of each other, then the wind would be coming from the same direction. Yeah. Which is like confusing. But, <laughs> but if if you do that, then that's how it works. So it's like, okay, is this a force bond moment? It's also like we can talk about the fact that the skies are different behind each of them. Yeah. So I think what a lot of people have been saying online, and I think both of us tend to agree, is that there's a sunrise, sunset mm-hmm. kind of parallel, a balance, you might say, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> happening on these covers with the sunset behind Kylo and the sunrise behind Ray. And I think that's really, that's really fascinating that they could be – and I think that's a good – like, th- talking about how th- this could be, like, a force bond moment, I think that's really fitting um, and it makes a lot of sense um, because it's, like, they've always represented this balance and then, too, it kind of shows how they're not present at the same time, having the sunrise and the sunset behind them, mm-hmm. but they're kind of in this sacred space, which I know you've been really excited to talk about St. Elmo and the Golden Hour and the Golden Fire. Yes. Well, before I go into that, I just remembered that when I was in London last week, I saw Fiddler on the Roof. It was such a good production. If you're ever in London, you guys need to see if you're interested in Fiddler on the Roof. This was so good. And, you know, that song that's so famous in Fiddler on the Roof, Sunrise, Sunset, I screenshotted the lyrics. <laughs> and obviously, like, it, it's different because they're singing it at, like, a wedding. And well, I, I, maybe it's not that different. But <laughs> um, the lyrics, you know, it goes sunrise, sunset, sunrise, sunset, swiftly fly the years, one season following the other, laden with happiness and tears. Now they must learn from one another day by day. 
you know, just like two new, whatever. I just, I was like, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Now they must learn from each other. (laughs) Well, what's interesting too is that the fact that that's like at a wedding and then like the sunrise and sunset is indicative of like a new day starting, Mm -hmm. like the close of one day to bring on the next. And this is the close of the saga to hopefully bring on a new future for all Force users and, and citizens of the galaxy far, far away. It just, like, this is it. This is yeah, they're bonded. I mean, whether you can look at that and me me making this like weird comparison to Fiddler on the Roof, I get it. It's weird. That is, that is probably the one of the weirdest <laughs> parallels well, we've gotten into. Star <laughs> Wars Fiddler on the Roof. They exist in the same space. I think that the point of that song happening over a wedding is that you know, time continues in, I don't know, that over these two bonded figures. And I think that obviously Ray and Kylo are force bonded as well. So here they exist in, like you said, time and space. So let's talk about St. Elmo's Fire. And this is so funny because I remember when I was on a red-eye flight over to London last week, you were texting me about how this reminded you, like when we were talking about the sunrise sunset, it reminded you of, what did it remind you of, Caitlin? I can't remember specifically what you had said that I was like, oh my God, St. Elmo's Fire. (laughs) This is such a deep cut. This is the movie, the Mark Hamill movie, Walking Across Egypt. Is it really a deep cut when it's Mark Hamill? (laughs) I mean, it's not, it's just like a random, I guess it's not a deep cut. It's just like a random reminder because, I mean, when I first got into Star Wars, I made this list of all of Mark Hamill's movies and told myself that I was going to purchase and or watch all of them. And that actually hasn't happened yet. But it was like a physical list that sat on my bulletin board for like 10 years. But Walking Across Egypt was one of them. And uh, Jonathan Taylor Thomas is in it and Ellen Bernstein. And they're kind of the leads. And Mark Hamill's like this weird uncle. Oh, okay. Sounds like Star <laughs> so, Wars. So the same. <laughs> <laughs> um, but... Jonathan Taylor Thomas and Ellen Bernstein's characters have this like incredible relationship in the film. And there's this moment of like the green light and the sun setting and St. Elmo's fire. And I was talking to Charlotte about it. I was like, it's like walking across Egypt. She was like, or St. Elmo's fire. (laughs) (laughs) Basically. Yeah. And I was like, I was on the plane and I was like, I couldn't sleep. I was like, it's St. Elmo's fire. It just reminds me exactly of Pirates of the Caribbean with the green light. So actually, St. Elmo's fire and the green light are two separate things. So I think we should talk about them uh, separately. So... St. Elmo's fire is something that happens. It's like, it's almost, um, it's mythic um, that happens for sailors when they see a flash of like fire, a a fire from the sunset. It could be a good omen. It could be a bad omen, but it comes up in literature often. And um, in The Tempest, I'll just read this from The Tempest and I'm sure a lot of people will like zone out. It's okay. (laughs) Um, So The Tempest is obviously a play by William Shakespeare. And here we have Prospero saying, Hast thou spirit performed to point the tempest that I bade thee? And Ariel says, To every article I boarded the king's ship, now on the beak, now in the waist, the deck, and every cabin. I flamed amazement. Sometimes I divide and burn in many places. On the topmast, the yards and ba- the yards and bow spirit would flame indistinctly and then meet and join. So I highlighted this because I think that the point of this phenomenon happening between sunrise and sunset 
or just sunrise or just sunset is that you have this like wild spark of energy and then it it like the, this line says it meets and joins to create something new and i think that that is really interesting when it comes to star wars and the force bond because i think that you have obviously this these two wild sparks of energy in ray and kylo and then Wasn't they do it? have to meet and join I'm sorry, wasn't it in the last Jedi novelization that it was described as electricity between them? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> really glad we, yes. we it's it's been like two episodes since we talked about the last Jedi novelization. <laughs> so again, again in the rhyme of the ancient mariner by, by Samuel Taylor Coleridge. I don't know if any of you guys have read that, but it's it's quite good. Um it's a long poem. Um which is about a seafaring man um, and he experiences St. Elmo's fire again. And this is a line from the poem about, about in real and route, the death fires danced at night, the water like witches oils burned green and blue and white. I think what's interesting here is we have this again, wild spark of electricity and it is personified here as fire like death is personified as fire, which I guess if you look at sunrise and sunset, I also think that often when people describe sunrises and sunset, they imagine it as fire because it is so fiery. It's so bright. But I think what's interesting here is that this this specific case of St. Elmo's fire in mythology refers to it as burning green and blue and white, which as we are big fans of color theory here at Sky Talkers. Those those colors to me are like, ooh, blue and green and white, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, that, that, especially white to me, I think is really interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I thought that was really like fascinating and interesting way to think about like what the sunset or the fact that the sunrise and sunset are contrasting to each other, what that could possibly mean and what sort of like where where we can look in literature to see what this could, I don't know, draw from. But then there's also the green flash, which I'm pretty sure most of our listeners would be the most familiar with it in Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End, where it's like pretty romantic <laughs> that when, <laughs> if you guys haven't seen that, I love Pirates of the Caribbean. I feel like I don't talk about it enough. Um, Charlotte when, had a uh, mushy pillow of Jack Sparrow. Oh, yeah. For, like, oh yeah. And Will. And Will. It was both. Yeah. Um, I, when Will like basically has to sacrifice himself and become the fairy of souls, he becomes a new Davy Jones and he can only return to land every 10 years or after 10 years when he sees the green flash. And the green flash happens um, basically at sunrise or sunset. And it is like, it's a, basically a signal um, for him to return home. And that happens when, like I said, sunrise and sunset. So I don't know. <laughs> it's just great. Um, and here's the very hasty Wikipedia version <laughs> of what the green flash is. This is scientific. So St. Elmo's fire is not scientific at all. It's more, um, like I said, like theoretical, but the green flash actually happens. And uh, a lot of sailors have described it. And these two, like I said, St. Elmo's fire and the green flash are two separate things. However, I think that in mythology, sometimes they're um, conflated to be the same. Green flashes and green rays are meteorological optical phenomena that sometimes occur just before sunset and right after sunrise. 
When the conditions are right, a faint green spot is visible above the upper rim of the sun's disk. The green appearance usually lasts for no more than a second or two. Rarely, the green flash can, be, can resemble a green ray shooting up from the sunset or sunrise point. Green flashes are enhanced by mirages, which increase refraction. A green flash is more likely to be seen in a stable, clear air, whatever. This is all scientific, but I do think it's really interesting that there's this... When when you're diving into talking about what these could represent, you find yourself here. You find yourself in St. Elmo's fire. You find yourself thinking about like what you know a new day, a new dawn um, represents. And here we have this like this representation of like a mirage or something that isn't exactly there. It makes me think of the force bond. I don't know about you. What do you think? Oh yeah. A hundred percent. I think kind of what I said earlier, I think it's fitting that the, it's the time of day and twilights and, and all of those kind of transition moments that we see throughout like the 24 hour day. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like twilight's like the bewitching hour. Oh um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's like, and these things like you were reading, like the green flash and then St. Elmo's fire and how they're conflated often to be the same thing. But like the green flash is born out of something like very scientific, but is also a little bit mytho- uh, mythological on how, you know, people have been talking about it for hundreds of years, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And then also like with St. Elmo's fire, obviously, um, the mythology and kind of the the legendary aspect of that too. Um, it was interesting because I was on Twitter and our friend Alex Leonis from the podcast Light, uh, Lipsticks and Lightsabers was talking about the golden hour and which is kind mm-hmm. of what we've been talking about this whole time. Um, but she also drew this comparison to none other than the fabulous movie Your Name and <laughs> how the golden hour is what is in your name when the two characters meet in a sacred space, the two characters that are tied by the red string of fate, they meet in this sacred space that is kind of defined at the golden hour. And it's like when all of the like crazy mystical things happen to those two characters um, exactly. is during the golden hour and in this sacred space, which we've mm-hmm. talked about before is very reminiscent of the force bond. And again, bears, bears mentioning that J.J. Abrams recently acquired the rights to your name <laughs> mm-hmm. as well. So I think the covers and kind of this whole discussion, I, I think we're on the right track, honestly. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just like you have to – when you're thinking about like, okay, so what is the hidden meaning here? And obviously there are two separate times of the day. Like what magical thing happens at this when day breaks or when the day ends? Mm-hmm. That, And that's why I think it's prudent to look into these different – meanings that come up often throughout literature, mm-hmm. throughout mythology and everything. I know it sounds a little wackadoo, but it's sometimes I don't I don't really think it is given the fact that we have two characters who have canonically met through space and time um yeah. in different planes. <laughs> well, what I think is great about this particular comparison to like the golden hour and, you know, the green flash, the animal's fire and like sunrise and sunset is not only like those times of day have often been referred to throughout all kinds of literature, as you pointed out, but in general of like, you know, when the day breaks, like a new dawn will rise and like tomorrow will be better or like the mm-hmm. nighttime comes and that's like the moment of creativity. Like, you know, like the, the like sunrise and sunset are very um, important as like 
I don't know, in literature to talk about like characters, like motivations and their um, like place in time within a story. It's very important. Um, but then a lot of how we've seen Kylo and Rey represented, um, aside from really, I mean, it's also worth pointing out that the hand touch scene is very golden red tone <laughs> mm-hmm. um, with the firelight. It's a very golden scene. But Rey and Kylo, when they're in their force bond moments, they're often seen in very opposite um, settings, you know, like with the first one, and, and it's very much like a um, an industrial versus a natural setting for them mm-hmm. um, when they're in the force bond. You know, Kylo's on the supremacy or on his starter story and, and Rey's on Octo in a very natural setting. They're opposites. Um, and they Ryan Johnson talked a lot about how they went through lengths to make sure that there wasn't this like weird back and forth between them or of them like existing in each other's settings, but rather it's the sound that tells you what's going on. But mm-hmm. their settings are still very divided. Um, but this now we've gone a step further and they're in the same place and setting, even if they're not there at the same time, which I think you might be able to speculate on given the sunrise and sunset. But the fact of the matter is, is that they're in a sacred space together. Um, they're no longer on opposites. Mm-hmm. It's interesting just even looking at this right now, um, the fact that the the valley that they're in, Kylo is, there's no light in any part of the valley, just like on the part that leaks into the ray side. And the light is breaking onto the valley that Ray is in. Did you notice that? Yeah. I mean, I don't really – I think that that is kind of representative of what we're supposed to think of Kylo at the end of The Last Jedi and the beginning of The Rise of Skywalker as well. But I think this definitely paints a totally separate picture of the fact that they're somehow together here. This kind of opposite um, or the fact that they're not they're, – visually they're not opposites. I mean, like – I guess they could be standing, you know, like opposite each other physically. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact that like they're both at this like transition in the day, but it's still an opposite time of day. And then when you kind of compare this to the art of the Rise of Skywalker, where they're physically on opposite sides of the cover and everything is really balanced between them. But then we've also talked about when we talked about that cover about the fact that they could actually be in the same spot or they're like, again, in another um, for spawn moment. Um, mm-hmm. And the fact that now we have two major publications that <laughs> the cover is just Ray and Kylo. <laughs> um, I think it's just – it's, again, another reminder that, like, this is their story. They are our – they are our dual protagonists. Exactly. So let's talk about their expressions, though, because I think that the way they're staged, first off, is very deliberate. Kylo's costume – if I I could be wrong about this, but it looks new to me with the cape and like the the way that this this cape is like billowing off to the side. I don't think I've ever seen that with him before. Very, I think it's like a variation of his old costume. Yeah, it looks very light. The material of his cape. Yeah, I just think that this this stance is very Byronic, very hero stance in this weird way. It's <laughs> it's very knightly in my opinion. Oh, yeah. I mean, even from the um, – like, on the shoulder pads where the cape is clasped, like, having that, like, raised portion in the middle of it, it's ve- – like, it looks a little bit like armor. And, like, you see the way mm-hmm. that it's, like, curved around his arm um, that, like, really stands out. Like, even just, like, that shape brings to mind, like, a lot of, like, princes and, like, how their costumes are designed um, to really accentuate, like, their broad shoulders. <laughs> totally. And then but yeah, it Rey. is very nightly. 
yeah, we then we have Ray who looks sad in my opinion. Her her face and her eyes look longing. Weary. I suppose. Yeah, weary. Um, but she does look extremely strong, especially that grip on her staff. Wow. <laughs> they both look so determined. Um, it's like if I had to put this in the film, it's like this is the moment where it's like it's do or die. Mm-hmm. And they both know, I think at this point, you know, if if this is pulled directly from the film, this is a moment where they both reach an understanding about what has to be done. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, if it comes down to one of us dying for, you know, to, to overthrow Palpatine, then like that's what it has to be. Or it's like mm-hmm. maybe they think that like one of us does – like or one or both of us do- does have to die in order for this to – to be finished and it's like this is what has to be done and it's like there's there is that heroism there but there's also that um that wariness of like i know what i have to do <laughs> i know what i have to do i don't know if i have the strength to, strength do, it, to do it yeah <laughs> oh that kylo one just came out of nowhere <laughs> i i think that if we can do our usual sky talkers discussion and talk about hands are language i think both of them this really aligns with your reading of this is i think both of them are very determined and if you look at kylo's like clenched fists very like arthur meme and then you have um ray who is like clenching the the staff i think that they i don't know it's just it's definitely like a, a, a an appearance of power the fact that the glove is on is an interesting note um but I do think that it's just more dashing with the glove on, If, in my opinion. If I were to style Adam Driver for the cover, I'd probably put on the gloves. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah. Oh, man. It's just so good. I can't stop looking I, at it. One of my greatest accomplishments as a podcaster is the fact that we got so many tweets when these came out about, like, the hand. <laughs> <laughs> Both like on Twitter and in our Discord. I think we actually had one or two emails about it. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, this is the proudest I've ever been. (laughs) The fact that I can, I, I, we have encouraged people to always look at the placement of hands in any kind of promotional material. Well, they're the same. I think that's the point Mm -hmm. that I was trying to say is that while Ray is gripping the staff, you know, Kylo might as well be gripping gripping the staff because it's it's literally the same movement. Yeah. What is interesting about Kylo's pose here, and it could be hidden, is that we don't see his lightsaber. I know. Whereas we see Ray's staff. But we do we see Ray's lightsaber? We only see Ray's blaster. Yeah, we can only see the blaster. Yeah. So no Which lightsabers is- for either of our two force users on the cover of Van- cover of Vanity Fair. Interesting. Mm-hmm. It almost like shows I mean, despite the fact that Ray's staff is there, which is quite a weapon itself. It almost shows to me that there's greater stakes than just like pew pew lightsaber, you know? Yeah. But then you have the, I don't know if that really holds a lot, any water just because you have the Han Solo gun there. Well, I think it's, I don't know. It's like we've talked about this with, you know, the point is not to continue fighting. Uh-huh. Because they've been doing that now for six films, two trilogies, and it didn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, and both of those trilogies ended in like a massive lightsaber fight and bounce still wasn't restored. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll be, I mean, of course there's going to be lightsaber fights in this 
trail in this film. But I wonder if like a lightsaber fight is how like how whatever they need to do gets done. I'll be curious to see if that's where they go. It could be, um, but it'd be interesting if it wasn't. Yeah, it's true. All right, are we ready to talk about the photos? Yes. Let's talk about the photos. All right, so welcome to part two, where we're going to be talking all about the photos that were released with Vanity Fair. And oh my God, there's so many and they're so beautiful. (laughs) All right. So where should we start? Well, do you want to start with the Knights of Ren? Yes, let's start with the Knights of Ren. So the very fact, I know you've been so reluctant to (laughs) accept the Knights of Ren as a thing, but guess what? They're in the movie. (laughs) Okay. What's interesting about this whole Knights of Ren debacle Mm -hmm. is that when the author of the Vanity Fair article did a AMA on Reddit, mm-hmm. and he was like, "Actually, we weren't supposed to say that those are the Knights of Ren." <laughs> Wait, really? That's what he said. Wait, you don't remember that? No, I thought that he would. No, no. The whole the whole thing was they weren't supposed to say that the Knights of Ren killed. I forget what it was. It was. It oh was like yeah, killed that guy. Kill, yes. Yeah, in the that Kylo mows down in the trailer. Yeah, You're right. That was the night. Of, um, the Knights of Ren. Yeah. Okay. You're right. It's just me again being like, "Don't do we need them?" Well, it's really interesting. I think I think they're really interesting as I, a part of the fact is is that they've been absent for like a majority of perhaps Kylo's character development that we saw in the Last Jedi because uh, they were not there. So like now that they're back, like what I think it presents an interesting conflict about now Kylo is a supreme leader. Like what does that mean for his knights? And the fact is, is like the, the knights look so when you look at this photo, if we can look at this photo, they look so medieval to me. Like the the weapons are so s- different. They're not forcey. Like are these really students that um, went with Kylo after the temple, Luke's temple was destroyed? I'm kind of like, I don't really think so anymore. Maybe like a couple of them because these weapons don't look like lights- lightsabers to me. They, what is, I don't know. I feel like I am always like, what is masters of the Knights of Ren, master of the Knights of Ren that Snoke says in uh, The Force Awakens even mean? And I think that, it. I don't know. I just think it really does provide a really interesting contrast to where Kylo was before to where he is now. And I think that that will be an interesting dynamic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I I know that I'm going to – like, I think the character design for the Knights of Ren, which also, if we're speaking about podcast accomplishments, we have to talk about um, Courtney and Solo, Knights of Rants, and how I always want to say Knights of Rants whenever I say Knights of Rants. <laughs> yes. Um, so that is another great podcast accomplishment. <laughs> I think their character design is really cool. I think how you describe it of them being this contrast and how they have really been absent from Kylo's character development actually piques my interest a little bit more. I can't lie. I just I'm interested to see again. This is this is my complaint, not complaint, but um, worry about every new character is how much time we're spending with them and away from our from our like main characters, Kylo and Rey and Finn and Rose and Poe and Leia. Um, that's always going to be my hesitation with new characters in the last episode. Um, I haven't been shy about saying that at all, um, but I think the more I've been thinking about it, though. 
to be honest. Um, and we'll talk about this when we talk about Hux and um, Pride as well, is all of these moving pieces within the First Order mm-hmm. and how that is really going to be shaking things up. And there's going to be a lot of conflicting motivations um, that I think these portraits, these pictures kind of allude to. Um, so I think from that vein, I think you're right. The fact that they have been absent from this like turmoil that Kylo has been going through. What have they been doing? Are they working on Kylo's behest or is, you know, master of the Knights of Ren, just like a figure, like a figure of speech from Snoke um, when really, as with most things, it's Snoke who's been telling them what to do. The fact that they don't have their lightsabers, you're right, is really interesting. Were they like taken away from them and only that Kylo gets to keep his lightsaber as the master of the Knights of Ren? I don't know. Um, or maybe they're just hidden because they have to be hidden right now. Mm-hmm. If you, It's interesting if you think about the um, the Inquisitors um, and like Seventh Sister and Second Brother yeah. or something and like their helicopter lightsabers. Those don't read as lightsabers when you just kind of see them when they're not ignited. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I think we're all like that helicopter thing is a lightsaber. <laughs> yeah. But I still think that these weapons that I see here, I'm like, there's no way a lightsaber could like, I bet that they have some sort of like electromagnetic something that happens, like especially that one on the right. Um, if you're looking at oh, the photo, yeah. I bet that like Absolutely. buzzes with some something like the, I don't have the exact word in front of me, but like whatever that traitor uh, stormtrooper had, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if one they do still have their lightsabers, but they're hidden or they've been reworked into something else. Um, I mean, we saw that with like Ezra's lightsaber blaster, which I think is, which I still think is one of the coolest lightsaber designs um, of his combo of a blaster and a lightsaber. Mm-hmm. So we have seen those kinds of things before. So I'm, I'm, I'd be curious if any of their weapons, I mean, obviously not the like huge ones that you're talking about. Um, if any of them do are like a, a secret lightsaber. Yeah. I do think that their design, though, if you look at them, they are so, I don't know, a lot of Kylo's design really does go back to like medieval knighthood. And yeah. especially this cloak in the in the front of this photo, it just reminds me, and even with like this this huge staff, it just reminds me of um, like a sickle. And mm-hmm. like, you know, so what am I thinking of? Like the god of death or something like that? Like Yeah, like a scythe. Yes, a scythe. Thank you so much. I, I couldn't. It just and I think that's the point, you know. And it's also mm-hmm. really interesting. So let's just say that Vanity Fair let something s- slip by saying that the Knights of Ren are who Kylo is mowing down on that planet in the trailer. Mm-hmm. So here we have the Knights on this desert planet. I do wonder if we're gonna like open on this desert planet, and then like what happens after this to bring Kylo to kill them to mow them down. Right, <laughs> but they're not. Yeah, and they're not on the desert planet when they get mowed down. Exactly, it's a totally different planet. At least I think so. It looks like it yeah. to me. It looks foresty, not this deserty situation. I mean, I kind of, I guess I've kind of always like now that we're talking about it, I would kind of think of the Knights of Ren as like this Navy SEAL team, <laughs> for, or like a SWAT team yeah. that exists within the First Order, and they're they're kind of like you never really know exactly where they are. Mm-hmm. And that's, like, part of their mission. And, like, Kylo is really the only one who knows where they are. But then you start hearing about them. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if – I wonder if they're the ones that find the resistance and relay that back to 
Kylo and Hux, then be the situation where, like, what if Kylo already knows that's where they are because he's been talking to Ray and he hasn't shared that information? It could be. Like, or I could see I could see some sort of conflict. I don't know. This is me in, like, my fan fiction-y brain of, like, the Knights of Ren finding the Resistance location, chasing them. I kind of think that that chase that happens later and we see some photos from it where it's in the photos, it's revealed that Ray is also part of that like almost pod racery chase that we saw in the trailer. Mm-hmm. Ray and Chewie are on like a totally different like essential essentially like a boat, right? Yeah. Um I think that it's really interesting though that like what if what if they were chasing and Kylo wasn't part of that and then Kylo would get like mad about that or something because he would essentially somehow work work with them. I don't know. That's just me hoping that there's some sort of conflict about Kylo being angry that they were pursuing Rey. I just love that. Yeah. Well, I mean, if there's a situation where, like, the Knights of Ren have followed them, like, have found the resistance, and they've been telling Kylo about it because Kylo is their point of contact, and then, like, nothing's happening, and they're like, WTF? Yeah. So then they contact Hux, and they're like, well, we told Kylo about this, like, weeks ago. (laughs) And Hugs is like, what? What? <laughs> He's like, Why are we over here on Tatooine? <laughs> I can hear Hux saying that. Well, it's not Tatooine, is it? It is. Um, well, no, but like if they've been on Pasana. this other planet ser- uh, searching for the resistance. Yeah. And they've been like pouring all this money into this search for the resistance. And Kylo has known for a long time that they're actually on Pasana. And the Knights of Ren are finally like, you know, Ky- like something's up. Like Kylo, like. The first order should be here. Like maybe, maybe it's time we contact Hux. Yeah, and then they tell Hux, and Hux is like, "What? Excuse me, oh, man. oh man, oh man." So let's talk about Zori Bliss. So Carrie Russell's new character. So the caption is: Vanity Fair reveals Carrie Russell as the masked scoundrel Zori Bliss, seen in the thieves' quarter of the snow-dusted war world of Kijimi. Kijimi. <laughs> Such a funny this the, <laughs> this photo gives me such solo vibes. Um, oh, really? From when they yeah, from the where they get the Falcon, like where they do the first Sabak scene. Oh, I see that. It kind of yeah, it kind of reminds me of that. And like you know the scene where they're like walking up where Kira uh, Han and uh, Chewie are like walking up the steps with like the big tusks. Yeah. Outside, it kind of like it kind of reminds me of that. Um, but the thieves' quarter. It, the this fact gives that me like thieves' quarter. So cool. I know it's so like it's it's it like very kind of Aladdin. Mm-hmm. You know, like the um, it's very tale. What was that? Yeah, that sequel from Aladdin is like the Tale of Forty Thieves or something like that. But yeah, this like whole setup reminds me one of the Mandalorian and of Solo. Mm-hmm. So I'm very interested, and I think it's really interesting how her last name is Bliss. Like, I wonder if she. I don't like. What if? What if she has, like, some kind of drug or, like, sniper or something that, like, makes you, I don't know, like, puts you in a different reality where you're kind of seeing things that make you happy so you don't really know what she's doing to you? The helmet is just so cool. I think that's a really interesting theory. The fact is, is that if if Star Wars names are truly never subtle, right? <laughs> like, ever. <laughs> yeah. um, Zori Bliss, to me, sounds like such a positive name. So it's weird because I think that, like... I think that because she's a in the thieves' quarter, a masked scoundrel, I think we're uh, immediately supposed to be like, oh, she's evil. 
But what if she's helping the resistance with something? What if she's, I don't know. I think that maybe her potentially helping them find something. I don't know what that something is. <laughs> it could be really interesting. And I think that in terms of like the scoundrel characters, we had DJ in the last film who kind of, the point of DJ, as Ryan Johnson has said, is you're supposed to, that Star Wars is filled with scoundrels with hearts of gold, right? Where, you know, they're supposed to be so so mean, so gruff, so like have no rules, right? But they help you in the end because they have a good heart. And then we have DJ who kind of shows that he like gives back the piece of Haitian smelt and all these things. But then in the end, he is not a scoundrel with a heart of gold. He is just like part of the system, right? Mm-hmm. And he's like playing the system to his best advantage. And it's it's really surprising because I think in the rules of Star Wars, we're supposed to trust those kind of characters. But here we have another scoundrel with a name like Zori Bliss with a really cool outfit that's purple and somewhere between red and blue is the color purple. It's It's confusing to me where I'm like, am I supposed to trust this character and i'm like i'm really i'm curious to see how this is going to go because they've already done the dj effect you know what i mean so yeah. it'll be really interesting i'm I'm so excited about her character as i've or said she before could just be, i mean she could just have kind of the lifespan in the film and i don't mean the literal lifespan but like the screen time lifespan of like someone like sam wassell yeah that's true i hope not because carrie russell is so good like so good yeah and has worked with jj before um, so I think that JJ knows her strengths and everything like that. And I, I would I would be interested to see how she fits in. Maybe, maybe she helps the first order in the beginning and then helps the resistance. I think that would be really interesting instead of she like goes on a mission for the first order and then actually, you know, runs across the resistance in the end and helps them somehow. I think maybe she's just found something. Yeah, that, that they need. For. Yeah, yeah, that like she she has the MacGuffin or something like that. That's true. That's true. I am. I'm just gonna say slightly disappointed that she's not a Knight of Ren, but I might amend my decision about that when I see the movie because if the Knights of Ren have like three minutes of screen time and Zori Bliss has like twenty minutes, I'll be happier then. <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> Yeah, I do love her outfit. I love the like the golden purple is so regal. Yes, I cannot. <laughs> but it's like a jumpsuit. It's it, I think it's it's a great costume. I can't wait for the cosplayers. Yeah, so good, really good. And her helmet is so interesting. How it juts too. out in the back. Yeah, it's it's got like a Mandalorian vibe, but then on the front, but the the lines are very different. I don't know. I think it's really cool. It's somewhere to me between Tron and Emphis Nest. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's interesting. Yep. Yeah. Okay, so let's go on to our Hux, and we have a name for Richard E. Grant's character, Allegiant General Pride, which, again, we're talking about names being not so subtle in the Star Wars world. <laughs> Never ever. <laughs> and this, to me, is, like, the most not subtle. <laughs> Um, I definitely think Pride is a part of Palpatine's contingency plan. I said this right when they came out. I was like, he is Palpatine's pride. I think he's been out in the Lost Regions, you know, just doing his thing. And then he gets wind of all the ish that has gone down with Kylo and Hux and that Snoke is gone. He's like, well, 
I guess I have to go and clean up this mess. <laughs> um, and he ends up helping Hux. Um, he definitely looks like the one who's in control in this photo. Yeah. That he's the one sitting and Hux is behind him. Um, again, bringing back that snow line of keeping Hux like tied on a string mm-hmm. um, because Hux – wants to be in control but he's not someone who can be in control um and again to allegiance allegiance pride is an allegiance with palpatine and what he's doing and i think too this is actually another really good tie-in to the last jedi novelization because if you remember at the beginning of the last jedi novelization um and i think we talked about in this in our episode and throughout the sequel trilogy too is this conflict between generations and captain kennedy he gets a lot of time in the last Jedi novelization of being like, Hux is just so young and dumb. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he talks about that kind of at length and how, you know, they were from the the days of the first of the Empire and they know all these things and, you know, why is Hux in a position of power over Kennedy? And it's just it's stupid. <laughs> and Hux is stupid. <laughs> yeah. And um I think that's kind of and that was something we talked about for the end of The Last Jedi is now, okay, it's like now these two like young guys are in charge of the First Order, um, Hux and Kylo, and both of them have very volatile emotions. <laughs> um, and so the fact that Pride is now being brought in, um, he's clearly in command now. And again, this goes back to what I was talking about with the Knights of Ren of how I think all of these um, like moving pieces within the First Order are all – um, like you always say, are trying to stage a coup. Yeah. <laughs> and they're all coming in and you have Kylo who's like trying to figure out this whole force thing and like where he stands. But clearly and, like, he's preoccupied with – Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Like the fact that that Kylo isn't really with these people at all um, is very interesting to know. But then you have Hux who clearly doesn't want Kylo in control. You have Pride who probably doesn't want either of them in control. You have the Knights of Ren who possibly could be um, siding with Hux or confused about what Kylo is doing. And so they kind of turn on Kylo as well. And all of these things create for a very unstable First Order. And uh, that's going to work to the Resistance's benefit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they have to win. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I think that I, I think his outfit is also really interesting. Something we've never seen. It's like a kimono. Yeah, super cool. And I I just cannot wait. I love Richard E. Grant. If you guys have, I don't know if you've ever seen, but in, he was so good in Can You Ever Forgive Me? And he was such a such a good character. And I just cannot wait to see um, what he brings to this one, because I know he's so excited about the role and he's, it's just so genuine. I cannot wait for him to be on the press tour. And I hope that actually, um, Donald, Donald Gleason and Richard E. Grant do press together. Cause I think that would so be fun. like magical. Yeah. So good. It'd be so good. Do you remember that great? I think it was a Buzzfeed interview where it was Domo and Daisy and it was so fun. <laughs> so good. I love when they did press together too. I, I'm just crossing my fingers that Adam and Daisy do press together. This time, though, to be honest, it'd be so great. But anyway, I think that any 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 person that they pair Daisy with, though, is great. Though, like honestly, they always play off each other really well. Yeah, it's true. Regardless, I do think the name Pride is really interesting. Um, Like, I completely agree with everything you say. But right now, when it's Pride Month, like I do have to say, like I'm thinking about that a little bit. I just have to drop that in there. Hmm. 
Yeah. I don't know what that means, but I, I do think that, and maybe that's just because Richard D. Grant, I'm familiar with his role in Can You Ever Forgive Me? And he played a very openly gay man. So I, I don't know. I don't know what it means, but I just had to mention it. Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that, but I think that is a good thing to bring up. Um, what I would be interested in is if he is, like, if he has been in the outer rim on the the legendary and long forgotten planets or whatever he's mm. been doing out there, like, how much knowledge of the Force he has. And, Ooh. To and what- the kimono vibe, like, actually does lead that on to me a little bit. Right. That if he does have a knowledge of the Force, then if so many of like the force the people who are who are knowledgeable at the force like wear these almost samurai outfits these kimono vibes um this eastern influence and here we have a character who comes into the first order wearing a costume similar to that you know i think that that's there's something there which like poor hux hux just wants like a military leader and then private's gonna come in (laughs) poor hux It's gonna be like, no. So in the in the ruins of the Jedi Temple on such and such planet, a hux will be like, "Good God, <laughs> I can't get rid of these Force users." God, <laughs> so close. <laughs> Honestly, poor hux. <laughs> um, yeah, that's something I'm really curious in to have like a military. I mean, it'd be very much like Thrawn with pride about how much he knows about the force and like believes in it. Has he been communicating with Palpatine or all these things just coming down for, to him from this like mysterious place? Is he the only person who's been out in these outer rooms? I like how I'm talking as if like we know for sure that that's where he's from. I just, I feel, I fully believe it at this I, point. I do too. I mean, I really where else would he be from? Exactly. That he's just been chilling. And I think the name, like the name pride and allegiant, um, He's in allegiance with Palpatine, and Palpatine's contingency plan is Palpatine's pride. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about Poe and Lando in the cockpit with Dio. Um, loved this photo; thought it was great. I I just think unsure if Oscar Isaac could get any hotter, honestly, I with mean, his little scarf. Like, <laughs> just like, just cannot. He's so good. <laughs> But I have to say, I'm just noticing this right now. What is that thing that's in the middle in between? The middle. Yeah. It looks like the coaxium thing from Solo. Like, didn't it kind of oh. travel on like a little cylinder type thing? That's what it reminds me of. It looks like that. I just, and maybe I'm just not familiar with the Falcon enough to recognize that. I didn't know that that was there. I feel like I've never seen that before. I've never seen that. I don't think I've ever seen that before either. And I don't know if that's what it's supposed to look like. But because I literally just noticed it too, as you were saying, I was like, huh. That's kind of... <laughs> I think that it's interesting that you mentioned the coaxium because I have not watched any of the Galaxy's Edge, like the Millennium Falcon ride, ride through. I haven't watched any of the queue, anything like that, because I'm just mm-hmm. like saving that for someday when I go. Um, that I want that to be my first experience. However, I do know that the ride includes some mention of coaxium. Hmm. And if Galaxy's Edge is supposed to be canon and happening right before the rise of skywalker it's interesting that they're bringing back coaxium and i do think that like all of this is relative you know if they mention something if it's like a big plot point in solo if it's a big plot point in rebels or resistance or something it might find its way into the movies so it's interesting that you bring that up just based off of the fact that i think part of that ride is collecting coaxium huh interesting 
I yeah, don't think it's used. That that's kind of a cool tie-in though. If like on the ride of Millennium Falcon, you're collecting coaxium that will then power the Falcon for its journey in the rise of Skywalker to like save the day. It would be cool. Yeah, I think that's cool. Um, but I like I so my main question about this photo though is do we think that at a point in the film, like perhaps after the first third, this is where we're gonna have Poe, Lando, and Chewie and the droids in the Falcon and other characters in other places, like perhaps Finn and Jana or Jaina, I don't know how to pronounce her name, um, together and then Ray and Kylo together. I, I don't know. I feel like I don't maybe they're just like in the back of the Falcon right now. But <laughs> I do think that like just like I mentioned in the beginning of the show, it's interesting how Vanity Fair has kind of shown how characters like siphon off in their particular plot points. And I actually do think it would be really fascinating to see Poe and Lando together and like what mm-hmm. sort of because they both have such swagger that having <laughs> just be like would it be would our eyes be able to handle it no no <laughs> i love it i i think that would be great i think so too yeah i i love that dio and bb8 are here too and you know after my cookie making experience of dio i feel like such a kinship with this little droid <laughs> he's so cute honestly he he really is so freaking cute and i'm ready for him to just like pester poe <laughs> Yeah. Which kind of looks like what he's doing now. He's like, hey, 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 hey. hello. (laughs) Well, I think that, I think we talked about this before, but I, since um, Geo's design is based off of a duckling, um, I don't know if you remember in the, Mm the panel they like showed like a straight up duck as like <laughs> uh part of his <laughs> his design um development and i think that like it's interesting to consider that perhaps dio imprints on bb8 but like how cute would it be if dio imprinted on <laughs> poe <laughs> would it just well, like followed him around like crazy and then bb8 and dio are like both vying for poe's attention and poe's like i am trying to work here <laughs> Oh my god, that would be so cute. That'd be so cute. Maybe it's like if like Poe's like, hey, baby, like I brought you this friend. Like I found him with like a box on the side of the road, like a kid. <laughs> maybe it's like, I don't want that. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so let's talk about Finn and Jana on the Space Horses. This power. is the most epic photo ever. Yes, power. power. It's like it's literally so powerful. It's so I, powerful. Her <laughs> pose <laughs> is incredible. It's like, Hunger Games, but somehow so much better. <laughs> oh, so much better. Oh, I like. I don't even want to make that comparison because it's just it's tenfold it's better. Yeah, it's. Tenfold she also has some better. space tivas. I'm just noticing that. Yeah, we stand right. space tivas. I'm ready. I'm ready to buy the crap out of those. <laughs> I know. And like the, the Orbacks are just – their design is so cool. Like the creature design is is amazing on them. Like from the way that their faces are really flat and they have like war paints and then you've also got tusks as well. They're just really cool. It's just like – it's astounding how you can take something that you're like, oh, like clearly that's pulled from like a horse type of creature and then make it so much different. Mm-hmm. Um, and even the like kind of the armor you can kind of see under Poe's white – um or back like underneath the head it's really cool Ugh, it's so great i love finn he's like he's on a white horse yeah and it's just so knightly to me and he looks so powerful and 
It's just what he deserves. I love him so much. Well, what's great is having all of these, like these different, like this is very much like medieval meets Western Mm -hmm. um, between like what we've been talking about, like as far as like the costume designs for all of the Knights of Ren and then for Kylo himself. And then even, you know, having Finn here on a, like a knight on a white steed, it doesn't get any more fairytale than that. Mm -hmm. Um, And how this really is like, Finn looks so confident in this photo. Um, he's con- like obviously you can see that there's some like, oh, what is that? But like his his posture is that of confidence. And we've you know, we talked about Finn's character arc. It's like this is where he is in episode nine. Like he knows who he is, he knows where he belongs. This is where he belongs. And mm-hmm. he's gonna do what needs to be done. I think it's so great. Yeah, and I let's talk about Jana for a little bit, because I don't think we've talked that much about her. Um, what kind of ally do we think she is? I think she's been on the planet. What is it, Pisana? I don't know if this is Pisana. This isn't Pisana. Pisana's the desert planet. We have mm. no indication that this is Pisana. This looks different mm. to me. It's the when you look at the behind the scenes um photos that like Vic Mahoney posted. Yeah. They were like all set in um it was like the second unit. It was in England and it was like on a grassy knoll and I remember actually these photos were leaked like th- them I, there was like the first big leak remember that like literally yeah. last year everyone saw those of like them on a grassy knoll <laughs> and yeah. it was yeah, it was that. Finn her and like no one really knew who she was at the time and Poe as well there and I think that everyone was getting like a kind of a Vietnam vibe almost of oh yeah like guerrilla warfare guerrilla warfare yes we talked about this remember yes it was really interesting I think what I what I think find really interesting about this photo rather than where they are I guess is the fact that she's in such an active pose and Finn is not Mm -hmm. like she's in the process of shooting and and like like she looks like they've already started the battle and Finn looks like they're riding to the battle Mm -hmm. if that makes sense yeah, I'm I'm really curious and I feel like I might be in the minority in thinking that Janet is in some relation to Finn. I think it's really important to uh, not really important, but I do think it would be great for his character to even though I know he's found his found family within the resistance and everything, I do think that his line of taken from a family I'll never know in The Force Awakens it does lead to some questions about like, okay, so what would happen if Finn was reacquainted with his family that he was stolen from? And I I think that, again, I feel like I'm in the minority in thinking this, but perhaps Janna and Finn are related in some way. And I do think that that like doesn't really jive that much with what we see in the sequel trilogy. So I could be totally wrong with that. But I do think that for Finn's hero's journey, I think it's it would be really fascinating for him to further solidify his place in the resistance by bringing in new members, by bringing in new people who could help. And Janna looks like she is the new ally who could do that and could help fight, you know, on the ground um, for the resistance. I think more than – I see where you're coming from about wanting Jenna – like, if Jenna was – if Jenna needs to be related to someone in the film, I would rather be Finn than, like, Lando. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I agree with that completely. But I think – because I think you're right, like, that line is very particular – specific in The Force Awakens, and it's something that we talk about a lot in relation to Finn's character. 
But I think for me, I think what would work better is the fact that, like, what if they end up back on Finn's planet? Yeah. uh, Where he was taken from and she's just, like, a part of the community, like, Mm -hmm. from his people, not necessarily his specific family. Um, And it's kind of viewing the devastation that the First Order had on that family. Like, what if she was, like, I was supposed to be, you know, I was supposed to be taken too, but I was, like, hidden or something like that. Um, So I'm, like, one of the few – children that like actually grew up here or something like that you know um and she feels this like real like she's had to live in the devastation of what the first order took from their community and from their planet and so she is very ready and willing to join in the fight and then you know it it is like this homecoming because they're like i mean who knows if any of finn's actual family is remaining on this planet if it is like you know assuming that it is where he was taken from and it's like this homecoming from him of this you know, night on a white horse coming back home. Yeah. Um, I think that's something I would be really interested in seeing. Um, I just – for me, I'm like, I don't need – like, it, we have so few people of color in Star Wars that I don't need them to be related. And I think that's I, I a little totally bit, agree. And that's my hang-up yeah. about it as well. I'm just trying to figure out how it, it – for Finn's work. story, since I, I, you and I believe that he is – you know, just as much of a protagonist as Ray and Kylo. Like his mm-hmm. his hero's journey to me is him. He's at the point where he will return to cross the threshold, and then the the major return back home. And I'm like, how does that fit? And I used to think it was. I still do the stormtrooper uprising. I I want it to happen. I'm just not really seeing it happen anymore. But that doesn't mean <laughs> anything. I just think that. I am trying to figure out a way that his return home can mean more than something that we've already seen, which is him returning to the resistance. We've already seen that. So I think that it perhaps needs to mean something for like more. And I just go back to that line often with Finn. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree with you. Um, I hope she's not related to him, but I really like the idea though that she's, that they like end up back on Finn's planet though, where he was taken. Yeah, that could work as well. Like that that would be really interesting. I'd love that. Yeah. I'm, I think I, that would be really I, great. I love her already, by the way. Like Naomi Aki, love you. <laughs> Can I she was no great stand you enough? Yes, yeah. exactly. She's wearing like a like a whole pink like pantsuit. It looked amazing. Oh my god. <laughs> Queen. <laughs> it was so great. Yeah. So I think we already touched on this a little bit, but there's several behind the scenes shots of um, Ray and Chewie and BB-8 on one of those like freighters that we see in the trailer with Poe and Finn on kind of escaping in what looks like a pod race. I We already talked about that, but again, just mentioning, I think it's interesting that she's part of that scene and I wonder if she gets separated somehow. Mm-hmm. I bet she does. Yeah. So she's got to next- meet up with Kylo. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. I'm like, okay, well, what's going to happen next? If she's not with them on that one boat, like, she's probably going to be separated. Just, like, it makes me think of, I don't know, in every Indiana Jones movie or, like, in in Temple of Doom when they're on the, like, this is a really deep cut. I'm sorry. Um, When they're on the... uh, Temple of Doom. That's not that deep. I mean, it's it's a deep cut that in the in the fact that I don't know if this even relates at all, but, like, (laughs) the... um, when they're on the minor cars and the minor cars, the minor car chase and like yes. they split up so often. Like it's just so to me, so cartoony that I could actually see them doing that here. <laughs> yeah, anyway. the minor the the mine car chase is 
very crazy. <laughs> it's so fun though. Oh my god. I oh, it so is much. so fun. I mean, yeah, but it it is like something straight out of like an like animated Looney Tunes. series. Yeah, like Looney Tunes. Yeah. <laughs> um anyway, so next we have we always get this in every Vanity Fair feature, like a background actor shot. And it's so great because it really does always fill the world and like kind of tempt your expectations about like what this planet will look like. So we have um the Jordanian locals play play the Aki Aki, natives of the planet Pasana. So I love the colors, so bright, so vibrant. It's which is so like refreshing in the sequel trilogy palette, in my opinion, to have yeah. like these bright pinks and oranges and everything like that. You know? Oh yeah, I completely agree. Everything has been so monochromatic Drab. yeah um, which is fine then, and, it's just yeah it's, it's like monochromatic and then red yeah. <laughs> yeah. um so yeah it's i'm like pink purple let's do this yeah. <laughs> space kivas give me more yeah um i looked up what pasana derives from and there was a lot of different translations but it really basically always came back to just meaning rock in like eastern and indian languages which is not that surprising to me, considering everything around in this, like this valley that we see is rock. So cool. <laughs> it's, it means rock. <laughs> <laughs> Again, names not being subtle in Star Wars. <laughs> so not subtle. Like, all right, it's a rock. Or, and then it just it reminds, reminds me of um, Luke being like, teleport me off this rock. You know? <laughs> Speed there's up a the bright center in the universe you're on universe, the planet that it's farthest, farthest, from. farthest from yeah such a bird i'm just i know <laughs> it's funny okay so next okay. we get to an amazing one yes ray and kylo fighting in the water and the caption are they is, fighting well that's always the question man yeah to me a lot, a lot of speculation is that they're not even fighting each other because it's just really confusing like what is a stance i think it's artfully done it's like it looks like it's photoshopped and just like every annie leibowitz photo is but it what do you think i don't i think it's all right first let's read the caption I'm, i interrupted you and i'm sorry the caption is star-crossed <laughs> <laughs> parentheses added by sky talkers of star-crossed lovers um <laughs> Doesn't say that. It just says star cross. <laughs> <laughs> Kylo Ren and Rey battle it out with lightsabers in a stormy confrontation. Their force connection, what Driver calls their maybe bond, will turn out to run even deeper than previously revealed. Dun, dun, ding, dun. ding, 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 ding. Ding, 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 ding. The world between worlds. <laughs> I'm just like, this was so satisfying. I just have to have a little aside. When after The Last Jedi, when the world seemed very dim for people who saw what we saw in The Last Jedi. And they were like, the Force Bond's over. It's over. It, it, she closed the door. It's done. And here we have, we'll run deeper than previously revealed. And I'm just like, okay, thank you. I'm so happy that my reading of the story is somehow on track. Just a yeah, little bit. At least a little bit on track, yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's the question. I... Obviously, that's is photoshopped, but it seems like their posture is so strange for them to be fighting each other. Like, Ray's not even looking at Kyle. Like, she's not – like, her – she's almost kind of angled away from him, like, where her lightsaber would be going towards um, uh-huh. if she – like, when she does swing it. It's just – it's very interesting to me. Like, her – she's what convinces me that they're not actually fighting each other. Like, Kylo 
is looking at her, but Ray is not looking at him at all. It's like, where is she? What she? What are they doing? What's going on? What's happening? Yeah, I don't know. Do we think this is on top of the Death Star? People have said I've seen people talking about it being on top of the Death Star or the Millennium Falcon as well. That would be really interesting. I don't know yeah. if I a hundred percent agree with that. I think the water of the Falcon, I mean, the water of the Death Star makes more sense just based off of like what we saw in the teaser of of her looking towards this like sunken Death Star that I mean maybe is on Endor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm just really intrigued by this. It's also the caption is just killing me. Right. <laughs> it just makes me so – in the best way. I'm yeah. dying in the best way. I think we had discussed um, – I can't remember what episode it was on, but we were talking about Palpatine and how Palpatine kind of like warped Ezra's reality um, after the world between worlds um, and how maybe like – maybe something similar happens with Kylo and Rey. Maybe not the same way, but Palpatine is like manipulating what they're seeing Mm-hmm. Um, and if he's found a way to manipulate like their force bond, or we've we've also talked about like Ray and Kylo, um, like creating their own plan on how to defeat Palpatine, like separate from the Resistance and the First Order, and so they still have to continue to act like they're on separate sides when really they're the ones controlling the whole game, mm-hmm. um, in order to overcome Palpatine, and so there's some kind of like farce. In what we're seeing, uh, not farce isn't the right word, but like, yes, they're fighting, but they're not actually fighting mm-hmm. because of this plan that they've hatched, and they're just kind of putting on a ruse or something like that. I don't know. Um, I just I think this is a really interesting shot. I do tend to think that it's on the Death Star. The water element, I think, is so great. This ties in really nicely to the the art of the Rise of Skywalker cover book as well. Um, it just it looks so epic, <laughs> and I love getting to see something like this because there hasn't. I mean, the last time we were really dealing with any kind of underwater scenes was in the Phantom Menace, yeah. Um, and so just having this like new aspect and like Camino was the last time that there was like rain. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so I really love getting to like bring back this weather element well, um, well f- at first we have snow they're fighting the snow then we have yeah. essentially i guess they're fighting fire not really a fight but you know they're conflict in the fire i suppose yeah then we have them in the rain here in the water i don't know if it's rain i don't know it's just it seems just so stormy yeah yeah stormy tempestuous yeah almost like them Hmm. I don't know. I'm <laughs> trying to work out the balance. I, I, I go back to this Ray being photoshopped. I think they're all photoshopped. All these uh, saying Photoshop like means nothing because every single photo in this is photoshopped. But I do mm-hmm. think that this photo is slightly altered. Like even look at Ray's left leg. Where is she yeah. stepping? Because there's supposed to be like a trough, it looks like, of water that's happening there. It Yeah, it almost looks like she's standing on water which is just it's just fishy and if i think that you could be (laughs) you could be right about like i don't know if we go back to our art cover analysis right where they're like you said like in different places potentially maybe they're not even really here i don't know it's just it's very strange yeah i mean i can't wait for to get wet hair kylo not gonna lie (laughs) 
I'm very like thirsty on this episode today. <laughs> yeah, like calm down. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's the um I think that's the main takeaway. <laughs> what I what I love too is that immediately after this, everyone in the Railroad community on Twitter was like Pirates of the Caribbean? What? Please. <laughs> Please. Like this, this looks just like that scene in yes. Pirates of the Caribbean when they when get Will married. and Elizabeth get married. Oh my God. I love it so much. I already like you know? wax poetic about how much I love Pirates of the Caribbean. I know. This turned into like a Star Wars slash Pirates of the Caribbean yeah. episode somehow. Yeah. Um <laughs> But yeah, and, and I do like Kylo looks so knightly in this as well, like from his stance and the way that his clothes are falling on him, like it just it looks amazing. It really does. It really does. It's gonna be it's gonna be really epic. And like, what? It, like, will there be waves? Like, is this is this thing? Maybe it's the Death Star that's rising, and they're on top of it, like, <laughs> and it's like coming out because that like that's what looks what happened. Like, you could almost like from the water, you could almost say that it's like being like the the whatever they're standing on is being pushed upwards, and like the water is falling off of it. Um, it's like maybe it's moving. Like, is this thing going to be moving? Like, if it's all water that's around them and not rain, then like there's like something's causing all of that water to be moving. Mm-hmm. Um, or if there is like a storm and it's just like a really bad thing. I don't know. Crazy. The, the real question is: is is this scene going to top the throne room scene? I don't know. I think there will be a scene that will top the throne room scene, but I don't think it's this one. And I would assume that this one is like at the halfway point of the movie. I don't think this is the epic battle. Yeah. And then, I mean, of course, we have to talk about their – we've already talked about it, but their bond will run even deeper than previously revealed. Again, I'm just saying world between worlds. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. So, so let's talk about – I think that there's so many photos that we can talk about that we just don't have time for, but we can briefly mention, so great to see John Williams back scoring and that one brief image of Carrie in her Last Jedi outfit, it looks like. That's Mm -hmm. fantastic. Cannot wait to see that. But I really want to talk about Mark in this scene. I did not expect to get a photo of Mark Hamill at all, especially not in this Jedi garb. It's so surprising. Isn't it? It was so surprising. And the this this image is so like the colors are so saturated. Mm-hmm. It's it's like a it's like a dream sequence or a vision or something. Like it doesn't flashback. look real. Yeah, a flashback. It doesn't look real. Yeah, I think it's really. I don't know. I just think it's really interesting. Like first off, the caption is from the ashes. Mark Hamill as Luke with R two D two. Speculation is rampant about who will rise as the Skywalker of the movie's title and how that choice will reflect the way the world has changed since Star Wars debuted in. 1977. I think obviously immediately you look at this and you think about like, I don't know, Luke Skywalker, the phoenix rising from the ashes. That's to me, that's the first thing that you think of when you see a man amidst flame, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do think it's really, I don't know, maybe I should mention this, maybe I should, but Billy Dee Williams slipped the other day and said when he was at a convention, he said the rise of Luke Skywalker instead of the rise of Skywalker. And I still maintain that this title refers to Kylo Ren, but I do think it's really interesting, though, that and maybe it could refer to both, you know, um, as 
like most ambiguous titles do. Like The Last Jedi refers to both Luke and Rey, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, what do you think as the resident Luke stan? <laughs> it's really surprising. <laughs> um, what I what I think when you when you talk about the rise of Skywalker, we're having dual meetings. I mean, we're we were kind of on different pages as far as the Last Jedi title when that was first announced, but I think we're very much on the same page with the rise of Skywalker. Yeah. Um, and that it refers to like the family as a whole. Um, for as much as it means as it means for Kylo Ren individually. Um, so to have. This image of Mark as Luke Skywalker in relation with the caption from the ashes seems very specific. Um, And it makes me wonder, like, if we're going – if there's going to be a specific moment for the rise of Kylo and then for the rise of Luke as well, what is like – like, what is Anakin's going to look like too? Because I think, like, if you're going to bring back, like, the rise of Luke with the rise of Kylo, I think you – there should be something in there too for Anakin as well, right? Mm -hmm. Um, if we're going to be like closing out this whole saga, you can't just forget your main character from your second trilogy. Agreed. So that's what I'm really curious about. Um, obviously I think this brings to mind a lot of the, the imagery we saw from the temple destruction. I know. It's like, um, is this a flashback? It could no, just be a flashback. But, but this is old Luke. This isn't Luke that we saw at the yeah, temple. Yeah, that's true. Um, but could he be like returning to the point? I don't know. I, I, is I don't ta- know. Is he thinking. world between worlds? Is he going back in time? Like, could he? I don't know. There's so many things that are on the table for this this episode. I and I think that's what, that's what gets a little confusing about – they can do anything with flashbacks now. Like flashbacks used to be like off off limits for Star Wars, I feel like, right? Like it yeah. used to not be a thing that we would do <laughs> because <laughs> it was like a linear story. But now it's not like that at all because we have we've had it presented in, you know, storytelling motifs and also through Ray touching an object and things like that. So it's all it's all available. It's all on the table. I don't know. I wonder if what's interesting about this is that one, it is old Luke. Two, our R2D2 is with him. Yes. Um, what I'm finding a little interesting is the pattern of the clouds behind him, how it's like a tunnel mm. going back. I wonder if they're like you know how we talked about how if Ray and Kylo go to this world between worlds type of place and there's not an Anakin Force ghost, but like we hear him. And it's Luke telling them the things they need to know about Palpatine. But what if it's also Luke, like, showing them the things that have happened in the past? I think that would Uh, be so cool. Yeah. And this is Luke, like, demonstrating, like, either the temple or, like, is this Mustafar? (laughs) It could be. It could be. And then, like, the clouds are, like, the vision, the memory ending. I mean, it could be given the fact that in that – you know, the art book, like you mentioning Mustafar, isn't that outlandish considering the art book yeah. cover has Mustafar on it? And especially look at look at the right side of the frame. Like that very much looks like the lava river. It does, but then I do see some green on in there. Well, that's as well. the bottom. That's like where Luke is standing. Yeah. And so, I mean, like obviously this is a green screen behind him. And so it stands to reason that like like you know this this what are like the weird cuts today? Um, do you remember that Disney Channel original movie? No, Smart House? I don't. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> movie Smart House where the house is like completely teched out. This is from like two thousand two, right? And the the rooms like in the house I mean, we see this in a lot of other like futuristic like super ritzy houses and movies, but like the rooms become 
like other places like it'll show you the beach and you think you're on the beach but it's like floor to ceiling Mm -hmm. like screens basically and so like if this like so where they're standing like where luke is standing with r2d2 rank kylo are just behind them and then like in the scene we see like almost if they were in the world between worlds and like that whole space behind ezra and sabine or ezra the triangle doors yeah like if that became whatever it was luke was showing them um Mm. and then the clouds like whoosh in to like end the vision and then like as the fog like fades away luke is gone wow it's just so much here (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's the yeah, and I think it looks like like again talking about hands are language. Luke has one hand hidden and one hand revealed, and he's wearing a glove, and that's his mechanical hand. Yeah, and it's like, does he have that mechanical hand in the afterlife? Kind of bizarre get, to me. I guess he does though, because why would he be wearing a glove? But then I'm like, okay, then maybe it's a it's a flashback then, because why would he have this mechanical hand in the afterlife? To me, it would be like they would be reborn new. But I don't know. I guess we'd have to see. Uh, yeah, because I guess like technically Anakin was because he came back as eating Christian's head. Yeah, I mean we didn't see his hand though, so I, I know, know. But he came back as Hayden Christian's head. Yeah, you're like you're reborn and you come back yeah. in like whatever form that you want to take. I suppose that's that's my interpretation of it. Or maybe maybe like Luke in the afterlife chose to keep his hand. Yeah, as like a reminder of his past, which I that's such a Luke Skywalker thing to do. Yeah. And the more I look at it though, the more I'm like, that's what that's what's happening here. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that's a that's Musafar behind them. To me, this photo and I think that a lot of people, maybe in my corner of the fandom, are I don't know, reluctant to talk about Luke Skywalker and his his uh role in the rise of skywalker just based off of i don't know i don't know i feel like a a lot of people are like okay we have to move on from talking about like luke and we're going to talk about like the new characters but i do think that like this is really perhaps up there with the covers for me for the most surprising image that we got from vanity fair it kind of came out of left field for me i'm not i was not expecting to see luke especially in this costume Oh, yeah, I definitely wasn't. I think for me, too, like, in your same corner of fandom as well as being a really big Luke fan is um, I feel this, like, weird hesitation based off of how Mark Hamill has been acting about Star Wars recently. That's kind of what I, I was hate... skirting around. <laughs> yeah. So let me just say it. <laughs> yeah. And I, I hate bringing that up, but there's such, like, a weird, a weird vibe with Mark Hamill and Star Wars right now just based off, like – and it was like, I thought we got over all of that when The Last Jedi came out. And then there was the whole, like, the director and the Jedi, like, beautiful documentary that, like, worked through all those feelings. And it was like, okay, like, that was all of our therapy session <laughs> about mm-hmm. this and, like, about how Mark Hamill initially responded to Luke Skywalker. And so, like, part of me is like, oh, wow, I hope that – I hope that JJ – like, this wasn't something that JJ was like, oh, yeah, I got to, like, fix this for Mark or, like – make Luke's story end somewhere else for Mark. You know what I mean? Like kind of change the ending for Luke's character um, or change a couple of other things for Luke's ca- – I don't I don't really know. Um, and I, I feel weird even kind of talking about it. Um, but I know that's what I was thinking. And again, like so surprised that this picture like crossed my screen. <laughs> I, I was like, whoa, wait, what? <laughs> I know. I totally agree. I mean, I think that on that note, Mark was so – emotional at the galaxy's edge opening 
And it was really like beautiful to see him talk and it, it like made me cry. I think he was so close to crying. If you guys haven't checked that out, I really do. I know that some people are like, I don't really care anything about the the Galaxy's Edge, anything to do with Disney parks. And I respect that. But I do think the opening ceremony for that was a really good watch just based off of it was great to see uh, Mark Hamill together. Harrison Ford made an appearance. It was a tribute to, to Peter Mayhew. It was just like it was really great. It was really nice. Mm-hmm. And it if I had been a little bit kind of taking a break from Mark Hamill's opinions about Star Wars, that kind of restored a little bit of hope, I suppose, in me about maybe potentially what he will be like if he comes on the press tour. Yeah. And I think the thing is we all expected Mark to be in episode nine in some form or fashion. So yeah. And it was even announced. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's something we all anticipated yeah. um, even before it was announced. But yeah, definitely this photo was – I don't think I would have expected him to be in the Vanity Fair photos even knowing that he was in episode nine. Totally. So. Very surprising. Anyway, let's talk about the articles. You ready? I'm ready. Listen, big deal. You got another problem. Women always figure out the truth. Always. Okay, so welcome to part three, where we're going to be talking all about the articles and kind of the written word that accompanied all of these beautiful photos. Um, And so first up is the main article that was written by Lev Grossman. And uh, this is kind of like the overview of kind of everything that was going on. Um, And this article was strange to me because, of course, it started off with this like kind of erasure of the prequels. (laughs) Yeah. And you're like, oh, Great. <laughs> cool. Cool. Glad we're back here. Yeah. <laughs> this place I know so well. Um, but on, on the whole, these articles, all of them, including this one, were really interesting and had such great like little almost like sound bites and tidbits. Um, what I love though, kind of this first quote that you pulled, I think, is really interesting, especially how you and I tend to talk about the sequel trilogy. And I think it's worth reading. Um, so this is, I can't remember exactly where in the article this is, um, but I put them pretty chronologically. Yeah. It's like, I know in the, in the beginning, kind of toward the beginning, um, his quote, but wherever real mythology comes from, Lucas has gone there and brought something back alive. People wanted movies that gave them something to believe in instead of relentlessly autopsying the beliefs that had failed them. We'd had enough of anti-heroes. We needed some anti-anti-heroes. Quote, I realized after THX that people don't care about how the country is being ruined, Lucas said. We've got to regenerate optimism. Like American Graffiti, Star Wars is a work of profound nostalgia, a post-Vietnam, post-Watergate anthem of longing for the restoration of a true and just power in the universe, the return of the king. And at the same time, it's a very personal hero's journey about a boy who must put right the sins of his father and master the strange power he finds within himself and in doing so becomes a man. I think this one, it doesn't talk about the prequels at all. (laughs) Um, And that's kind of what's before this whole quote is him being like, there were like so few special effects. Amazing. And um, like how it was just so like campy and, you know, like Flash Gordon and that was so great and, you know, things were black and white and it's like, well, you completely ignore the – the other side of that coin, which was the other side for a reason. Mm -hmm. Um, It was designed to be exactly the opposite. Anyway, um, 
what I think, though, is the important thing about this quote is what Lucas, what George says, actually. Um, we've got to regenerate optimism. And I'm not sure when exactly this quote is from, whether it's from It's from you know, a the previous the, uh, Vanity Fair article. Okay. Um, talking about how we've got to regenerate optimism, though. I mean, this has to end on a happy ending. <laughs> yeah. It makes me think of how Kathleen Kennedy has described to numerous people on the press circuit, the Rise of Skywalker, as hopeful. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, what does hopeful mean? I don't think our – I do think there will be character deaths. Don't get me wrong. I think that there has to be some sacrifice for there to be, like, joy. I think that that's just how it works in storytelling. But I do I do think that there has to be some sort of optimistic ending there has to be. And I know that that means different things for different people. But to me, for the Skywalker story, it has to end on an optimistic note, like the Skywalker specifically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we have to feel good about where the Skywalker family is. Yeah. And right now, none of them feel particularly good. <laughs> um, you know, like none of them are happy right now. <laughs> and that's the Even point. Our, Darker middle chapter. I know. I know. That's the point. But it's like that's – like they're, we have to feel good about where all of their stories end. And, um, you know, of course, talking about Kylo's redemption, a lot of people um, don't want Kylo redeemed for a myriad of reasons, both well-placed and not well-placed. Um, but I always go back to the fact that like our other Skywalkers want Kylo redeemed and they've both they've all expressed a lot of regret and grief about what's happened to their son and their nephew. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's like if Kylo wasn't redeemed, that doesn't make our other characters happy from what we've seen. Um, of course, like I think a lot of people point to Leia saying at the end of the last Jedi, you know, like there's no hope for my son, but she's not exact. She's it's not like she's happy about that. Um, she's heartbroken about that, and. You know, Luke does this. Luke literally gives his life to come back and say he's sorry for what happened to Kylo. And so Mm -hmm. to think that he would, he, like him as a character, would want Kylo to die unredeemed, that any of that, like, and again, it's like all of them are giving these final moments to Kylo. Like Han in The Force Awakens, his last like moment of energy is to caress his son's his son's face in a moment of parental love. Mm-hmm. That's what he chose to do in his last moments. And for Luke, in his last moments, he literally crossed the galaxy to tell cut to tell Kyle he was sorry, something he couldn't bring himself to do for however many years afterwards. At Leia, you know, obviously her story is still unfinished, but at the end of The Last Jedi, she said she's lost hope, but she's not happy about that. She's so heartbroken about it. And so that's like that's where we have to come <laughs> to, I think, to to make all of to begin to make things right is to put the Skywalker family back together. Um, and I think that's what we've been leading to as far as like our legacy characters go. But then there's like this whole and like that's where Kylo's story is. But then I think Ray's story fits in in the fact that like one, she's separated from all of that. And so she can kind of see the bigger picture that Kylo can't always. But then she's also a part of this, like, bigger picture of the, like, nine-part saga and the balance of the Force as a whole and how you need these two people, like Rey who comes from nothing and Kylo who comes from everything and how they're both just as lonely and broken. Um, And when they finally do come together, 
Like that's where our happy ending is. Like that's where it's going to be found, whether or not Kylo lives through the end of the film or not. Um, but like clearly she's been kind of that motivation for him and will continue to be to some extent until he like realizes it on his own and like eventually makes that personal choice for himself. Mm-hmm. There's so much here, and I completely agree with everything you say, but there's so this article is really quite long, so I just kind of want to pick a few passages to discuss, if that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, one that I wanted to talk about was this paragraph. But the more interesting thing about The Force Awakens and its successor, The Last Jedi, written and directed by Ryan Johnson, was how they subtly complicated Lucas's vision. 30 years have gone since the ending of Return of the Jedi, during which it's the time during which time the newly reborn Republic became compliant and politically stagnant, allowing the rise of the reactionary new Imperial First Order, whose origins we will learn more about in Skywalker. It was almost like if the Argentinian Nazis had sort of got together and actually started to bring back, bring that back in some real form, Abram said. Just like that, the rules of Star Wars universe changed. It wasn't all over when the Ewoks sang. Obi-Wan Kenobi and all those Bothans died, had died in vain. Even Han and Leia split up. It's all a little less of a fairy tale now. First off, I disagree. It's always going to be a fairy tale. <laughs> but um, <laughs> both of us were like, uh, no. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, I think that that's, it's supposed to be like, it's really more complicated than what happened at the end of The Return of the Jedi. So I, I get it. I'm not, I'm just being funny. Um, I think it's really interesting, though, that we learn two things in this paragraph. One, that we will learn more about the origins of the First Order, which is something that we talk about a lot. Like the, It goes back to what you were talking about with allegiant general pride, right? I think that, that this is like a major clue that we're going to get more about the contingency plan and Palpatine's influence and everything like that. I think that that is kind of a given. We have to have some sort of conclusion about who the First Order are because I think that it's a little confusing. I think it's or- their origins and everything are just there because of the way that th- – but the origin the, – the nature of the sequel trilogy honestly is just basically dropping in the middle of the story. But in order to conclude this saga long nine episode part, I do think we need to go back to the beginning a little bit and to see how this really truly rose. And the second thing we learned that I think is really interesting is that JJ compares this to the Argentinian Nazis, which were like hiding out after uh, the forties and the, the, the destruction of basically the Nazi party. And I think that that again goes back to the Palpatine's contingency plan where it was hiding out into the, in the unknown regions and everything like that. I think that it just, to me, this paragraph and this, this mention from JJ really solidifies honestly everything we've learned and like the novelizations and everything like that. Don't you think? Oh yeah. A hundred percent. And, you know, kind of going back to the very beginning and that who started all this Palpatine started all this. And again, it's just like, Of course, Palpatine's in the end of this trilogy. How did we not see this coming? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, I I completely agree with everything you say, especially to your point about like it's a little less of a fairy tale now. Um, It just feels like that because we're in the middle of it. Um, And then I think something that's a little bit clear, and I don't mean to like be negative about Lev Grossman, but like he he it doesn't really feel like he's been looking at the whole picture yeah of all nine films he's been looking at the original trilogy compared to the sequel trilogy and that's important to do but you're forgetting like the whole 
33% of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it's like, yeah, Obi-Wan Kenobi and all those Bothans died in vain. Even Han and Leia split up. But like to a weird – in a weird way now, like the original trilogy is the dark criminal chapter <laughs> of the nine-part saga. Um, and so – those things do look really grim right now. But once we have this final piece of both the sequel trilogy and of our legacy character stories and of the nine-part saga, it's all going to make a lot more sense. And and those things won't be in vain anymore mm-hmm. because it'll all come together and it'll all, hopefully, Lord willing, make sense. I just wanted to read this passage and it's quite long. So I think Caitlin and I are going to like popcorn off. So I'll just start. The other only member of the surviving Skywalker bloodline that we know of is Leia's son and former Padawan, the fallen Jedi Kylo Ren. Kylo probably isn't capable of actual happiness, but things are definitely looking up for him. By the end of The Last Jedi, he's taken control of the First Order and has killed or at least outlived his actual father in both his symbolic fathers in art, Luke and Supreme Leader Snoke. Sources at Disney can also confirm that this long-rumored Knights of Ren will finally arrive in Skywalker. And then there, then he had been forging this maybe bond with Rey, Driver says. And it all kind of ends with this question in the air. Is he going to pursue that relationship? Or, what, or when the door of her ship goes up, does it also close this camaraderie that they were maybe forming? Presumably, whatever's eating at Kylo Ren started in his childhood. Maybe being the kid of literally the two coolest people in the galaxy isn't as fun as it sounds. Driver, who has obviously thought this through with a lot of rigor, points out that as cool as they are, Han and Leia are both obsessively committed to lifestyles, smuggling and rebelling, that that don't leave much room for kids. He also points out that unlike Luke and Rey, Kylo never got to go on a nifty voyage of self-discovery. Instead, he grew up under the crushing pressure of massive expectations. How do you form friendships out of that, Driver says. How do you understand the weight of that? And if there's no one around you guiding you or articulating things the right way, it can easily go awry. awry. By the emotional logic that governs the Star Wars universe and also our own, Kylo Ren is going to have to confront the past and his fears, whatever they are, or be destroyed by them. If Kylo Ren can't be redeemed, it will most certainly fall to Rey to put him down, in spite of their maybe bond. Their relationship is the closest thing the new trilogy has to a star-crossed love story on the order of Han and Leia. A source close to the movie says that their force connection will turn out to run even deeper than what we thought. They're unique. They're uniquely suited to understand each other, but at the same time, they're in every way each other's inverse, down to Kylo's per- perverse rejection of his family, which is the one thing Rey craves the most. Quote, I think there's a part of Ray that's like, dude, you effing had it all. You had it all, Ridley says. That was always the big question during filming. You had it all and you let it all go. Ah, oh, so good. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I love how like the way that Grossman wrote about Driver talking about these things of Kylo. It's like an argument almost <laughs> of, um, you know, because you know, the way that Grossman words of like, I guess having, you know, Han Solo and Leia Organa as your parents like wasn't enough. And then you have Adam's like, okay, but yeah, think about this though. <laughs> um, and he's like, you know, kind of defending Kylo. And um, of course, as an actor, you you have to be on your character's side. And, and Kylo's made that very clear. But the thing that Adam's he's ta- made the way- it very clear. <laughs> Kylo. <All right. laughs> what did I say? You said Kylo's made that very clear. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, no, Adam. <laughs> Adam's made that very clear. Um, but the way that he talks about it here is very reminiscent of how he talked about it in the some Force Awakens, like one of the few times we see Kylo in the Force Awakens behind the scenes 
see Adam, good Lord, um, in the behind the scenes things where there's that great quote where he's like, yeah, you had the, you know, this kid who was um, kind of like raising himself almost and like how, like how were things being told to him? And it's very lonely. I think that's what he says. I, I wish I had pulled it because I can't remember what he says exactly, but it's very similar to how he is discussing Kylo here in this quote of like, yeah, they were great, but they were like off doing their own thing. And those were great things, but no one was around to like not in the way that Kylo needed them to be. And that's something we've talked at length about, especially in regards to like a lot of the discourse that was happening around last shot of like Kylo, like Luke and or Leia and Han clearly love Kylo so much in, in all kinds of extra canon, but they weren't able to give Kylo what he needed. And it's not because they didn't love him. They just didn't know. And like all of these all of these things fell into place that led them all astray. And it was Snoke and, and Palpatine too um, that really preyed on all of their weaknesses. And Kylo was kind of caught in the crosshairs of that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I do think it's really interesting, though, that Daisy mentioned that was always a big question during filming. You had it all and you let it go. Um I think that's really, first off, interesting that that's a question that they're thinking about when they're filming. So obviously they have a lot of scenes together or some scenes together. Kind of unclear if she's talking about The Last Jedi or Rise of Skywalker, but I have to assume she's talking about Rise of Skywalker um, just based off of that. And I think that it makes me excited because, as I mentioned before, I love this I don't know. I can't wait for this like fiery conflict that comes between Ray and Kylo and like some sort of like spiteful words that Ray can throw at Kylo. Like I love the idea of her being like, you had it all Kylo and you let it go. Like you could have had me, you could have had everything. You know what I mean? And you, mm-hmm. you, you turn it away. And I, I just like, to me, I, if that's a question that is happening, I think that it will be somehow expressed in dialogue. Oh, yeah. I I absolutely think so. Um, And I think – I mean, I think that whole situation will – it'll just be so charged and angsty. Yeah. (laughs) It'll be like Ray, you know, shouting at at Kyla, you know, you you had it. You could have come with me. You chose not to. Like Now now you've got it. You're like completely destroying your life. You're destroying everything around you. Yeah. And and then, you know, Kyle will be like, okay, well, have you told everyone about like what happened? (laughs) (laughs) Have you done that? <laughs> what is what is what does Finn say about all of this? Like, have you told my mother? You know, yeah. like all these things. And Ray's like, no, I've literally told no one. <laughs> and he's like, huh, <laughs> interesting, curious. Yeah. <laughs> what I'm interested about is if if they find out about Palpatine together, or if they find out about it separately at the same time, or if one of them finds out about it and has to like try and convince the other that like, hold on, like. This is this is not the about, only like, way they were going to deal with this if we can work together. Because yeah, and the other one's like, Caesars. yeah, they're like, I don't want to work with you. Like, I worked with you before, and look what it got me. Yeah, um, and then have to like be convinced or something. I do think that if the force has been, you know, splitting planets open for them and like moving them across planes and everything, I wonder if the force, the cosmic force, would tell them about this together. I think it would tell them at the same time. I yeah. think like as they keep getting brought into these into this other space, that's where these things were revealed to them. And I guess where like possibly where we would see Luke kind of showing these these moments that have happened in the past. Mm-hmm. 
So the last, the last, it's so good. The last quote that I want to talk about from this main article is this final one, which I think is pretty close to, if not where the article ends. There are a lot of small, subtle ways that Abrams' Star Wars is different from Lucas's. But if there's a standout, it's the way the new movies look at history. Lucas's Star Wars movies are bathed in deep golden sunset glow of the idyllic Old Republic, that more civilized age. But the new movies aren't like that. They're not they're not nostalgic. They don't long for the past. They're more about the promise for the future. This trilogy is about this young generation, this new generation, having to deal with all the debt that has come before, Abram says. And it's the sins of the father, and it's the wisdom of the accomplishments of those who did great things, but it's also those who committed atrocities, and the idea that this group is up against the unspeakable evil, and are they prepared? Are they ready? What did they learn from before? It's less about grandeur. It's more about restoring an old it's less about restoring an old age. It's more about preserving a sense of freedom and not being the one oppressed. I felt so vindicated reading this because Yeah, it gave me such hope for the like, oh TJ. Exactly. I feel like I could trust you a little more. Exactly. Because I do think that the it was about nostalgia. I think the Force Awakens marketing was about nostalgia. And I think that to think that it wasn't, to me, is missing the point of what that marketing campaign was all about. But I do think the story doesn't necessarily reflect that, you know? And mm-hmm. I think that often those just based off of like the time that we live in, it's hard to kind of separate those, especially when The Force Awakens does in a way, and the article refers to this, I just haven't gotten it, we don't have time to read it, um, about how like on the surface, The Force Awakens looks like a beat for beat rehashing of A New Hope, yet it is not because what it is supposed to do is exactly what JJ says here. It's about the sins of the father, it's about growing beyond, it's about not being the ones oppressed and despite the fact of having to deal with the sins of the past. And I, I felt... I just feel really good about JJ understanding and knowing that the final piece of the saga has to be about these new characters moving forward, you know? Yeah, I completely agree. It it makes me feel that like he's been paying attention to the bigger picture. Yes. And not just one trilogy over another. And of course, like, again, it's, it's slightly naive for me to even say that just based off of the fact that he and Lawrence Kasdan created these new characters. So, of course, he feels a kinship to them and a sense of protectiveness about these new characters. But um, I do, I, I just respect a lot that he seems pretty laser-focused in continuing the story for, forward rather than looking back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you have to look back in order to move, move forward. forward. Yep. And that's that's what Kylo has to do. And, and this is what we discuss about the sequel trilogy as a whole is that it's about stopping the cycle mm-hmm. but you have to like look back at the cycle to understand how it's been repeated throughout these generations and then that's how you're going to put an end to it and then move into the future and 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 preserving that sense of freedom and no longer being one of the oppressed mm-hmm. okay so let's talk about the Raylo article yes. um, which has a fantastic title so this was this was written by Joanna, um, that writer that I said I really liked. She she looks out for us, Raylos. She Joanna does. Robinson. She really does. Thank you. And the, <laughs> if you're listening, thank you. <laughs> the um the title of this article is Star Wars: The Truth About Kylo Ren and Rey's Connection. Daisy Ridley and Adam Driver discuss the intergalactic will they, won't will they. they. <laughs> Oh, joy. Seems like a romance to me. Mm. 
Yeah, the fact that this is part of like the marketing package for the Vanity Fair, I just have to say, I'm just so happy about it. <laughs> <laughs> I am too, in a big way. <laughs> so I think the biggest question, of course, is like, where do they go from here? And mm-hmm. that's something that both Jay-Z and Adam are kind of dancing around. You know, the quote-unquote maybe Bond and the, um, you know, the question we had during filming, like you had it all and, and you you chose to walk away from it. It's so like, what do you do now? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's that's kind of what we've been discussing about how they're going to have these hard conversations and they have to. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I think that there's like there's two quotes I really like in this this article, which again is somewhat of a rehash of some of the the quotes that we got for the main story, and that's just how it works. Um, but then there's also some more. So one of the other ones that I think that potentially people who are not for the Kylo and Ray like relationship will their ears might perk up at, but I have to say th- we think this too. Um, if Kylo is still questioning, Ray is, at at least initially, more resolute. Ridley says, when he says questioning, it's like questioning whether or not he goes for the relationship or did, did he close the camaraderie, that one quote. Ridley says that in The Rise of Skywalker, as The Rise of Skywalker begins, Ray is less inclined to believe that Kylo potentially could redeem himself. And I think that this is obviously where we left off in The Last Jedi. Like, I think that mm-hmm. she had given up hope on Kylo she that's why she left that's why she closed the door i think that that is part of what we think is going to happen you know and to me this doesn't like at all dissipate whether or not kylo would redeem himself or come back to the light or whatever um to me this confirms that ray has a little bit of a i think that she potentially might be surprised at what kylo will I don't know, accomplish in this movie. Mm-hmm. What I think is important about this quote too is the the very end, you know, Kylo could potentially redeem himself um, because it is a personal choice. No one can do it for him. He has to make that decision and he made a choice at the end of The Last Jedi and Ray was like, okay, cool, bye. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, she's still kind of holding that grudge. And I think this is really interesting too, given what kind of time jump we're going to be getting in The Rise of Skywalker. Um, if they've been having like all of these force bond connections and Ray's just straight up ignoring him the whole time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she's just walked around closing doors like all the time. <laughs> yeah, completely. Well, it's funny. It's like, again, if Galaxy's Edge is supposed to be I'm sorry, it's on the mind because it's just all over my feed. If Galaxy's Edge is supposed to be canon, they're like in the same place at the same time and she's just like legit ignoring him. They're both there. (laughs) So funny. (laughs) It's almost a little ridiculous. (laughs) No, I love it. I love it. I think it's so funny. It's just so um, sliding doors to me. Yeah, I know. And you have like Finn and and Poe and Poe's like, it's just like – Always slamming doors. Like, you know what that's about? Like, we got to, like, keep some open for, like, air breeze and stuff like that. But she's just always closing doors. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. It's <laughs> <laughs> just right, like, trying to shut Kylo up. <laughs> so the last quote I wanted to talk about is kind of in conjunction with something that I said before about and something that Oscar Isaac says. He says, it's not about one person. Isaac says about how his character deals with the strain of leadership and heroism in The Rise of Skywalker. Quote, it's about reaching out to his family and particularly Finn and his family. Again, that makes me think of 
what Jana's role is. This is just to me another hint about like what his family is, right? And then we have the next paragraph saying, Ridley says Ray is also part of that relationship, but kept, kept apart a bit due to her forced sensitivity. Will Kylo Ren and Ray reforge their own connection? If they do, will it be love or simply friendship that unites them? The answer, Driver says, is incredibly complicated. Quote, I don't think it's any one thing. The strength in what Ryan Johnson wrote, wrote and what J.J. Abrams wrote is never all one thing. So good. It's very good. And this is the, that first part is what we talk about so much with Ray's place in the fourth in the rise of Skywalker coming back to the resistance is that no one is going to understand the choices that she made in the last Jedi because she wasn't with any of them. Yep. Um, the last time they saw her, she was on her way to go get Luke Skywalker back and that's not at all what happened. Mm-hmm. And this just gives me such hope for that angsty Finn and Ray conversation that I really, really want. <laughs> do you think that it, at this point, do you think that the angsty Finn and Ray conversation will be just Finn and Ray, or do you think it'll be like Finn and the whole group, including Rose? I think it could be the whole group maybe at first, and then like Ray leaves and mm-hmm. Finn like goes to talk to her one-on-one. Yeah, I think that's that's true. I think that like just this line though, the fact that Ray is kept a bit apart due to her force sensitivity, again, gives me... I don't know. I think that Ray is so special in her force sensitivity that I wouldn't necessarily want her to be so lumped in with the goals of the resistance. Um, and I'm I'm happy that she's not, you know? And I don't mean that in a negative way. I just I just think that Ray being a Jedi is so important to the story. And I just feel like this is confirmation of what we had talked about with these, you know, struggling conversations about everything that has happened in the past. There needs to be a conversation. And mm-hmm. there needs to be an, yeah. an uncovering about what Ray is. And obviously we get that in the last Jedi novelization with Rose and Finn talking about, you know, what sort of changes Ray is going through as she's training, quote, with Luke, when it's definitely mm-hmm. more than just training with Luke. Yeah. Especially too, like if she's kept apart, um, is that because like she's doing this thing with Kylo too? Like if they are kind of hatching their own plan that's kind of running parallel to what the Resistance and First Order are doing and they can't really tell anyone about it either. Mm-hmm. Or that, you know, like Kylo is – is like Kylo and Rey are training together themselves. Yeah. I think that's a piece we haven't really talked about, about like the Resistance knowing that Kylo is on their side. <laughs> yeah, th- that's the other thing. It's like I feel like they could really throw a lot of curveballs <laughs> about Oh, uh, yeah. 100%. But it does feel a little out of left field at this point. So I don't know how they're going to do that if they do. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the end of, you know, the relationship is never one thing. Mm. I think I think a lot of, you know, they've discussed the possibility of, like, talking about soulmates and how that doesn't necessarily mean romantic. And that's kind of what this sounds like to me. Yeah. Uh, of course, like, you and I are very much in the, we want a straight romance. <laughs> but um, also not, though. Like, I, I think that we definitely want that. I think there's no shying away from that at this point. That's what I want. But I do think that, like, them being force bonded and connected and soulmates and everything like that is just so powerful in itself that it just kind of writes itself. Oh, yeah. I mean, I – yeah, the, the like, wanting, like, a straight-up romance of, like, it to end in a wedding <laughs> is, like, very much, like, my my shipper. Yeah. <laughs> the shipper side of me, like, the story side of me. One, I think that, like, an actual romance can work in the story side, obviously. Um, but I also think that, like, it ending in just, like, galactic soulmates completely fits the story as well if that like as long as they're together 
because yeah. they they do balance each other and so that together can just be like galactic soulmates it doesn't have to be romantic or that it like it transcends all of that uh, like labels and so I don't think we would ever necessarily see it represented that way on screen it would just kind of be something that's like out there for fans to do with what they want that's kind of how I think it will end in this current moment but all that to say like I do still want like a wedding on top of a sinking death star so <laughs> yeah mood <laughs> that's and I want I mean 3PO could be the efficient. What do I know? <laughs> I I just feel like again, I I feel like I'm, you know, saying the same thing over and over again, but it has been really this whole article has been really affirming to me mm-hmm. about my thoughts on the saga and JJ's opinions about it, how the how the actors are thinking about things. I think it's hard sometimes to like look at actors' quotes and like take them as gospel. But I do think that something like the Vanity Fair stories are so vetted through like Disney PR, Disney marketing, and even like people like Kathleen Kennedy, I'm sure it reaches her desk before like in it all gets like a stamp of approval before um, coming out into the world just because I really do think that in a marketing plan, this is a huge step within it. So mm-hmm. it's really important, I think, to look at these quotes and look at what the creators are saying about the story. And as you were talking, I was thinking about how more and more I really do believe that Ray and Kylo live together and they die together. And I think that like what that looks like in The Rise of Skywalker, I think it could go either way. I don't want it to go to die together, but I do think that there will make a sacrifice together somehow in order and mm-hmm. that's what that's just me thinking about even like returning to Pirates of the Caribbean about how <laughs> in the end for Pirates of the Caribbean like a sacrifice has to be made for someone to live on and I think mm-hmm. that's just like in general how like heroic f- stories and fables go um, and I think at this point since Ray and Kylo are so bonded and so you know, in verses, but also the yin and yang so connected. Um, And Joseph Campbell would even say the yin and yang represent like the sacred marriage. I think that they, I don't know, I think that they really do live and die together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. So let's talk about (laughs) this. The final thing that we're going to talk about is like much to Caitlin's chagrin, but I think it's worth talking about, right? The article is called the rise of 3PO. <laughs> Wait, is it called the rise of 3PO? No, it's that. called it's called in Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker. C3PO will surprise everybody. Anthony Daniels, the only actor to appear in all nine Skywalker saga films, steps up with his most central role yet. Okay, I meant okay. when I said the rise of 3PO. <laughs> That's kind of how I interpreted this article. So it's just really interesting because I know Caitlin's least favorite character is C3PO, but I do think that like C3PO is an embodiment of the Skywalker, like the Skywalker creation. He was created by Skywalker, uh, Anakin Skywalker. You know, he's the catalyst to Luke's hero's journey. You know, him and R2 have been with us through it all. The frame narrative is kind of t- supposed to be told through him, right? And and R2D2. And it's really fascinating to me that there's this whole article written about how C-3PO is going to have a bigger role in The Rise of Skywalker than ever. And I think that maybe we can like dismiss this and be like, okay, so he had a really small role in The Last Jedi. So like, of course, he's going to have a bigger role in this one since he is, you know, a droid that has been with us forever. I think that it's only like 
necessary that he would be in this. Same with R2-G2, more so. But I think it's the article reveals that it's even more than that. So the and all jokes aside, I think this actually makes a lot of sense, especially what we saw Anthony Daniels talking about at Celebration when he went on for like 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like he took over that entire thing. He took over that entire panel. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he was like, everyone always is trying to cover C-3PO's mouth and not listen and da-da-da-da-da and they should be paying attention. And I think we actually talked about this at our live stage panel too. It was like, I think we got to be paying more attention to 3PO. So I think he's definitely going to have some major plot device in this film. Um, but the first quote is, Daniels is not, only, is not the only actor representing Star Wars history in this new film. Billy D. Williams makes a welcome return as the dashing Lando Calrissian. But as Daisy Ridley stressed, we worked with Anthony a lot. Like, Anthony is really a part of this adventure. Ridley, who got to spend time with Ford, Fisher, and Hamill in their previous appearances, said that The Rise of Skywalker was the most I'd ever worked with Anthony, and he was really there, mostly, every day. <laughs> <laughs> so it didn't feel like the legacy wasn't there. It felt like we were very connected to the original ones, actually. Really connected. Daniels never expected to never expected a more central role in the film, but shortly before production began, he started to hear rumblings that C-3PO might have a bit more to do in this adventure than fuss and serve up some timely exposition. We had an inaugural dinner in London and all the main people were saying, you've got a really wonderful part in this, Daniels recalled. And I go, yeah, but what is it? (laughs) Which I have to laugh, honestly. (laughs) Yeah, I just like, I kind of abridged some of these quotes because the article is quite long, but um, I do think it's funny. Like, clearly he has a pretty big part. I don't know what it is, but I do think it's fascinating that 3PO serves to me as an ambassador for both the prequels and the original trilogy. Like, him and R2 are the only characters who are still in Star Wars from the prequel trilogy, even. Which mm-hmm. is like, okay, so then if we, the more we talk about, like, the way that we can bridge the whole saga together and, like if Anakin is going to come back or something like that, it's like, okay, well, we have this character who actually has a pretty strong connection to Anakin as he was created by Anakin. So yeah. it is really fascinating to me. I don't know how it's going to go. C-3PO's mind was wiped. Maybe it wasn't wiped. I don't know. You just never know. So what's interesting to me about this article is actually this last paragraph that you have pulled where it, Daniel's where it's written – While Daniels couldn't reveal exactly what surprise C-3PO has in store, he was eager to stress that it's not entirely out of character for the prim and proper droid. Writer Chris Terrio, Daniels said, has steeped himself in the lore of old Star Wars and has come out of it almost like an original draftsman from those early days. So those looking for a flavor of the original trilogy to go hand in hand with the new generation should keep their eyes on Daniels, even if they can't see his face under that that 3PO mask. And there's also this other interesting part in that article where it talked about how there was this line that 3PO couldn't or that Daniels couldn't say, which was the the two words common emblem. And I kind of think that 3PO has had this thing stored in him for so long that's still there somehow. You bring up the memory wiping. I kind of think it's a little bit like R2 that he's had this thing inside of him that literally like maybe Anakin put in there as a child and like tiny Anakin was like, all right now, 3PO, you can never show this thing. And 3PO is just like, never shown this thing. <laughs> <laughs> and like when he says, like, it's not out of character for the prim and proper droids, et cetera, et cetera. And like, I wouldn't be surprised if Anakin, like, something that we would see in like a short story in the future, if Anakin, like, set in all these security protocols for this thing that he has hidden within C3PO and that like not even the memory wipe could touch. <laughs> and it's just been like, and there's like some like passcode or something 
mm-hmm. that someone says and it unlocks it. That would be so it, cool. Yeah, I, that's kind of what I think it is. And then like that those words to like common emblem, like it sounds like 3PO is telling them about some artifact or something like, oh, the design on this was a common emblem from the star system of Naboo. I mean, he's fluent in over three million, billion forms of communication. Like, I think that there's so much there, obviously, within 3PO that I think you're you're probably right. Like, (laughs) just in the same way, it would kind of mirror, like you said, what R2 contributed in The Force Awakens. I always think about one of my favorite things in Legends that I do remember reading because I sought it out was R2-D2 and I think C-3PO as well telling Luke and Leia about the past and like Padme and everything like that. And I do think that like maybe they will recycle that. Also, this quote that you mentioned, this is like the first time I've seen any sort of mention of Chris Terrio. And I do right. wish that they had, like, who is he? Like, where is he? I think that they've been, like, kind of, maybe he just doesn't like to do interviews and JJ is, like, a much better spokesperson. But it's funny. I think there's two people absent in these, um, any sort of Vanity Fair coverage, and that is Kelly Marie Tran and Chris Terrio. Ugh. Kelly Marie Tran, there has to be something going on there. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it, like, Rose's character, like, I miss you so much. Where are you? Right. It, it like makes me so disappointed, but and I'm I'm like just trying to be so optimistic and hopeful that she just doesn't want to be part of the marketing machine and she's just trying to be like kind of stepped out of it, or they have something really great revealed for her character. And I don't know. I don't know what it is. But then you have Chris Terrio, who I do think is like writing ferociously behind the scenes. The fact that he has steeped himself in the lore of Star Wars gives me a lot of hope. I love hearing that from Anthony Daniels. Well, he does say the old Star Wars. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The highest of highs to the lowest of lows. Lowest of lows. (laughs) I hate how sometimes when we talk about like the lack of prequel love, it makes it sound like we don't love the original trilogy. I love the original trilogy. It just gets so much love. I just – I love all of Star Wars. That's the thing. I love it all and I want to see it all. And maybe that's what he means because – the the quote that comes after, so those looking for a flavor of the original trilogy to go hand in hand with the new generation should keep their eyes on Daniels is like an editorialized quote rather than the quote from Daniels that says he steeped himself in the lore of old Star Wars. Maybe Anthony refers to old Star Wars even as the prequel trilogy. I mean, it has been 20 years. Possibly. Yeah. Um, I'm just being optimistic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I – yeah, I think – yeah, I just – I see this scene where, like, something's unlocked and, and 3PO is like, here you go. And everyone's like, why haven't you given us this? <laughs> and he's like, no one listens to me, which would be well, – it would get like, a laugh. It would get a like, laugh. It would get a laugh. And he's like, well, my master told me I had to wait until this passcode was said. And everyone's like, your master? <laughs> he's like, yeah, Jake Lloyd. <laughs> <laughs> a little and Anakin like, Skywalker. WTF. <laughs> Oh my God. He's like, that's just what I was supposed to do. That that was the protocol that yeah. was set in place. I have to follow protocol. Oh, man. All right. Well, is that it? Do we have anything else we want to talk about with the Vanity Fair? I feel like I could talk about this for like six hours. They were – it was really good. It was really so good. good. I'm glad you finally woke up to read the articles. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> the covers are uh, still my favorite part, if I do have to say so myself. Oh, yeah. Uh, that that and, and like obviously the right Kylo images of them fighting on the water. Yeah. 
are just so great. And I'm really obsessed with the Lou footer now that I've kind of decided that I think it's like him showing them visions of the past. Yeah. Um, I'm really into that theory right now. So, but yeah, I can't wait to actually go and pick this up in person and maybe I'll just like display it with my desktop. Are you going to get both covers? I haven't decided yet. I think if I'm there and they have both, I think I'll, it'll be hard for me to not get both. I know. However, if I do have to pick one, it's really That's hard Kylo. for me because I think I would go with Kylo and I know that's so bad. Uh because we'll I love Ray. Both, I love <laughs> I think I'm gonna get both. Like I think I'm gonna get both. <laughs> right. I mean that's why they that's why they do this so that they like, I already they feel bad even just saying Kylo. Like I think I'm I'm like, oh, but the Ray one is actually gorgeous and I would love to have just a Ray cover. Because I have all the Vanity Fair covers down to even Revenge of the Sith, which is like main really remains one of my favorite ones. And I'm like, maybe I should just get that. For the last Jedi one, I bought the Leia one and the Ray and Luke one. Ugh. So I did buy two in the past. I just so. really want to see them in person. That's really what I need. Everyone that's posting like Instagrams of it, I'm like, I literally cannot wait to do that. I know. Post that on our <laughs> feed. June 4th yet? <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go on Tuesday night, I think. Yeah. Gotta go. Oh, no. I def- I've already been twice to look for that. <laughs> so have I. So have I. It's like, <laughs> it's a mess. <laughs> And I'm like, I thought I read somewhere they were coming out on May 30th and they weren't there. And Turns just, out it was just New York and Los Angeles. <laughs> man, to live on the other side. <laughs> Must be nice, New York and LA. I hope you enjoy those covers. Yeah. Like, come on, Boston's not that far. Like, hello. <laughs> there should anyway. be a southeastern city represented. <laughs> yeah. Atlanta. <laughs> um, oh, well. Okay. Well, I think that is going to wrap up this episode. Um, thank you guys for listening and bearing with us while we got this um, episode out with some of our busy schedules the past couple of weeks. I hope it was worth it. Uh, but this is this is it. This is the beginning, the beginning of the end as we continue to ramp up for the Rise of Skywalker. We have the trailer, now the Vanity Fair, and like the machine is in motion and ready. Um, <laughs> but if you want to find us online, you can head on over to skytalkers.com or you can follow us on Twitter. The podcast is at skytalkerspod or our personal handles are at Caitlin Plusher is mine and at Clarity is Charlotte's. We are also on Instagram and Facebook. Just search like skytalkers podcast and we'll pop up. Um, yes. Wherever, wherever you prefer your social media content, we're probably there. So just mm-hmm. look for us. You can also send us emails. We are completely caught up on emails except for one right now. So if you email us, there's a good chance we'll email you back in a more timely fashion than we usually do. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're so good. Yeah, it felt really good. Um, so our email is skytalkerspodcast at gmail.com. You can send us your thoughts there if you're interested. And if you do like what you hear, you can head on over to iTunes and leave us a review so other people can find our show as well. We would really appreciate it. Yes, please. And we've gotten some really amazing reviews lately, written reviews on iTunes. And I just want to say a big thank you to all of you who have done that because it really does make our day and lifts our spirits. And I was feeling super down in the past like couple of days. And those reviews really just like made me feel so much better. So thank you. Yes. Thank you guys. So they really like we read them, we screenshot them, we send them to each other and like cry cry a little bit. Yeah, literally. (laughs) Actually, (laughs) thank you very much to those of you who have submitted reviews. It means a lot to us. 
So I want to thank our amazing patrons who are also extremely awesome. Jason, Joey, James, Kathy G, Kate, Nathan, Sam, Bailey, Eric, Kelly, Amy, Neil, Mary, Larry, James, Sarah, Susanna, Z, Cherie, Angela, Diana, Becca, Lynn, Katie, Courtney, Brian, Amy, Kelly, Jim, Suara, Jackson, Carrie, Jackson, Raphael, David, Ada, Liz, Christian, Kimberly, Nicole, Jonathan, Rachel, Aaron, Unspeakable, Brooke, Rebecca, Kathy, Katie, I Rebel, Kimberly, Gina, Ewan, Donnie, Vundacast Productions, Christian, Adam, Megan, Courtney, Centara, Thomas, John, Dominic, Megan, Kate, Matthew, Fernanda, Chell, Manny, David, Claudia, Kate, Brooklyn, Lady Valkyrie, Jenny, Blessed Cheesemaker, Danny, Lump of Aru, Patrick, James, Hamsa, From a Certain Point of View, The Dorky Diva Show, Megan, Stewart, Kyle, Jennifer, Kells, Chastity, Alaya, Travis, Katie, Alyssa, Rebecca, Andy, Delaney, Angela, Ali, Natalia, Daz, Serene, Shireen, Molly, Caitlin, Rebecca, Helly, Scott, BJ, Casey, Lauren, Tom, Edith, Connie, Robbie, Kirsty, The Clashing Sabres Podcast, and Chuck. Thank you all so much for supporting us. Yes, thank you guys so much. And as always, until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you. Sky Talkers is a member of the Star Wars Escape Pods Network. Explore more great content and get to know our sister shows at WeAreEscapePods.com and on Twitter at WeAreEscapePods. The Star Wars Escape Pods Network, promoting positivity in fandom.